Welcome to the Game of Thrones podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Game of Thrones on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about season three, episode 10. It's the season finale uh, called Misa. What do you think, Aaron? Misa. Misa like. Misa Jar Jar Banks. Misa. Who's the the Jar Jar in Danny's crew? (laughs) Uh, I I think it's double D's because they're <laughs> they're racially tone deaf like uh, George Martin. Okay, uh, <laughs> all right. Um, I thought I mean this is a great this is uh it, it 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 can't possibly be as shocking and dumbfounded as the last episode, but it does a really good job like most uh, Game of Thrones season finales do of resetting the table, giving you things to look forward to. Giving you real hopes, false hopes, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> all kinds of, of things. Um, and there's a lot of really good character work uh, with Tyrion and Cersei. And perhaps the only good Shay scene in existence. <laughs> because Varys is in it. And because, yeah, I was going to say, because she has Varys carrying her. Uh, carrying her. But like, uh, like that's, that's the best. I think this is, this is, this is peak Shay we, yeah. we, we've hit here. Um so that's that's my my thought. What do you think? Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I I look at the scenes like you were saying with Cersei, uh, the scenes with Tywin. I mean, Charles Dance every single time he's on screen knocks it out of the park. Uh, the the scenes with Davos and Gendry I thought were good. Like Davos telling him about you know his son and how he grew up in Flea Bottom. Right. Uh, and and you really get like a sense of who Davos is a little bit more. Uh, I I thought all of that character work is really good. And then. You know, there's like you said, there's not much exciting, but uh, we're we're setting the plate for next season. Yeah, um, I and there's just some really cool visuals. Uh, you Even know, that first the, shot. like and and it's it's kind of bookended. Um, you see like Roos on top of the battlements of the twins, looking down at the chaos and destruction, and then we end with this like aerial crane shot of of Danny being adored by the the masses that she's that she's freed over there in slavers bay um some really really cool visuals i there's a really nice scene of like the night fort from a distance uh a huddle beneath the shadow of the wall um there's a, there's I, a lot of there's a lot of really cool visuals uh in the episode too which you know they had to have spent a lot of budget last you know in the chaos of of uh uh, of the last episode so it was nice to see some some still some grace notes for this uh for this episode yeah i do think more of the budget was on display in this episode uh mm-hmm. you know if, if you look at the red wedding and you say okay where'd the budget go it probably went mostly into this episode because that first battle scene that we see where you're talking yeah. about roos up on the walls like that looks like a million bucks i mean the, the choreography just the set dressing all the fire everywhere i mean it yeah. looks amazing. Um, and then another very, very striking visual that I just can't get out of my head after watching this episode is Rob with the wolf's head. Yeah. Uh, that is fucked up. And they did such a great job just showing how fucked up that is. Yeah. And, and letting Arya see it and the hound trying to shield her from it. Like it's uh, it's it's good. And also we see kind of Arya unleashed as a, a young wolf into her own right in this episode, like a, a little mm-hmm. glimpse of what, uh, you know, this is the this is the life that she wants for herself at this point. And the great thing about Maisie Williams is you can still f- feel like, hey, that's a pretty cool power fantasy. But also it's a fucking tragedy. That sure. this little girl is 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 reduced to this. Um, so it, it's yeah, lots of stuff, lots of good stuff all around. Hardly mm-hmm. anything that I could uh, dismiss as like bad or shitty. In fact, I don't think there's anything. This is a this is a this is a really solid finale episode. 
All right, let's get into the recap. Hey, everybody, before we get to the episode, uh, I got one last time to talk to you about things that are going on in a bald move because I hope you stay with us. Uh, we've got uh, Better Call Saul season four is in full swing. Uh, we do that uh, every Monday. We have an instant take after the first airing, and every Wednesday we have the full coverage. If you're a club member, you can join in that instant take, the instant talk part by uh, logging in with your username on baldmove.com and clicking through to the YouTube link so you can YouTube chat with us. That's pretty cool. Uh, my wife and I are starting, uh, Cecily, uh, starting our American Horror Story podcast back up with the return of season eight. Uh, check that out. Uh, Jim and I are also, um, now the Sharp Objects are over, covering David Simon's The Deuce on HBO. We're doing that on the Bald Move TV feed. Uh, tonight, we're seeing Mandy, a crazy horror film in limited release starring the incomparable Nicolas Cage. We're pretty excited about it. Last week, we saw The Nun. We're kind of on a horror kick. I don't know if people have noticed this. Um uh, also for club members, uh, the Empire Business, which is a behind-the-scene looks at Bald Move and a podcasting startup, is a series that we're doing. We got six to eight topics planned. We're going to be dropping once a week. Uh, our first one, doing a deep dive on our club statistics and thing, our plans for the future, just dropped this week. Check that out. And finally, uh, since this is the last time I get to talk to the Game of Thrones audience for a couple months. Uh, really want to encourage people to participate in our democracy. We are fortunate enough to not live in a system of feudal lords like Westeros. We get to choose our leaders. Uh, it's, uh, uh, you know, we have an election coming up in, in, in November. And I just want to encourage everybody to make sure that you are registered to vote and to vote. And you can do so. You can, you can, you can check your registration at vote.org or headcount.org. It's very easy to put in your address and your name and find out whether you're set up or not. And that's important because a lot of states are changing their rules uh, requ- uh, as, as, as far as their requirements for registration. And some people are being taken off the list without being aware of that. So I want to make sure that doesn't happen to you. And that's also a lot of states uh, have deadlines that are months out. Uh, so I, I want to make sure that everyone that is el- eligible to vote and wants to vote can do so. Go to vote.org or headcount.org to check your registration today. Commission podcasts are an awesome feature here at Bald Move that allows you, the individual listener, to decide what we talk about for a single podcast. The community loves it because it often leads to fun fan-favorite films and TV shows that we've overlooked getting the coverage they deserve. And we love it because we're constantly exposed to great stuff that's not even on our radar. The way it works is simple. You go to support.baldmove.com and you click on commissions. Then you pay the flat rate for the commission and tell us what two-ish hours of content you'd like us to make podcasts on. Then we'll contact you for details, advanced feedback, and any dedications you'd like to make. Then we watch the thing, discuss the thing, turn it into a podcast, and pump it right into your ears. We get consistently great feedback on how much our commissioners love their podcast, and they make great gifts for the dedicated Bald Move fan in your life. And who knows, that dedicated fan could even be you. Treat yourself. Check out support.baldmove.com for more info. We start off with the carnage of the twins continuing as the hound makes his way out of the vicinity. Uh, Arya sees her brother riding a horse with a wolf head where his head used to be. Uh, like I said, that that visual is super fucked up, and, and all the visuals all around are great. Uh, you know, roost on top of the walls. I mean, that looks awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I mean, they. I guess I didn't really expect to see the carnage. Like, there, there's really no reason to show it other than spectacle. 
which right. I'm cool with. Yeah, no, I mean, they could have shown Arya and the Hound riding off. They could have just, uh, the next time we see uh, Frey and Bolton could have been there triumphant and as, as Walder's cleaning up his, his banquet facility. Mm-hmm. But it was nice seeing the, the, the scope of the battle. Like yeah. this, you know, a lot of times in Game of Thrones, um, you know, they do a lot of tricks to make things look bigger than they are. Um, but the scale, the scope of this battle is just as grand as the Blackwater. I mean, it didn't take up a full hour, but like they really do a good job of showing the just thousands and thousands of men being killed every which way. Yeah. Butchered, hung, burnt. Um, and then Arya <laughs> having to deal with that humiliation. Like, you know, we talked about how painful it was to watch her get so close to her family and then even so close to like letting Grey Wind uh, unleash to, to do something and to see all that. And then that her final scene, her, her final thought before her final vision before she's forced to flee what should have been a happy family reunion is her brother's body being paraded around with this wolf's head sewn to it. It's yeah. And like, it, like sewn is interesting because you can see like how kind of shoddily is done, like the wolf's heads on a pike and it's strapped to Rob and they've made some like really rough unit. It, 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 it made it look, I think even more fucked up. It's like something yeah. Guillermo del Toro would come up with, you know? <laughs> right. Uh, you know, just put some eyeballs in its palms and you've got, you've got a Hellboy monster. So, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's, it's great. And, uh, like the sim, the, the symbolism of the Stark banners burning, uh, there's a little bit of like I thought that they're going with like a hound being stymied by fire again, uh, but that didn't really play out much. Um, I, I had a memory of like Sandor having to slaughter his way out of here too. No, he just picks up uh, the banner and goes. And, and I, I thought think, maybe that was a little dangerous too. I think I've conflated because in the book there's like a fake out when Arya is at the scene. She sees a man riding her down with uh, an axe, and then everything fades to black. And then that's the end of the chapter. And, you know, the way Game of Thrones books, you don't get back to Arya's point of view for and you find out that that was the hound and he smacked her with the blunt, the the the, uh. the, the side of his axe to knock her out and, and, and take her away because she wasn't having it. But like, yeah, I, I thought I remembered him having to kill a lot more dudes. But then again, I also could have gotten confused with the scene later on where he does, in fact, Darth Vader through a whole bunch of dudes. Yeah. Yeah. Several of them. Uh, all right. We move on to Tyrion and Sansa. They're walking through the garden. People are laughing at Tyrion. Uh, he puts their name on a mental list of enemies, much like Arya has been doing, although he's yeah. not going to kill them. He's going to make him think that he's going to kill them. Uh, and Sansa suggests a couple of methods for getting back at them that aren't death. Uh, Podrick arrives to tell Tyrion that there's a small council meeting happening, and they head off. Sheep shift him. Sheep shift him, yeah. Shifting, I guess, is uh, shift is the word for sheep shit. Yeah, yeah, we gotta... Because they couldn't say shift. shit in game of thrones like no that's the joke all right you you, you the, the joke is the joke. sansa is so innocent that she she thinks people are saying shift when it's really oh, shit hmm. she no, thinks that's a that. vulgar word for done so that's why there was like an amused look and you know we, we've been talking about uh especially in the spoiler section people you know um the the, the, the like romanticize let's say this relationship okay um Man, and like it's like I promise you, this isn't a spoiler. <laughs> I know it might sound like it because I talk about it being a spoiler section and all that, but it, it, um, God help us, is Sansa flirting with Tyrion here? Uh, I, uh, flirting? I don't know. Does anybody? It, it, is it flirting every time you tell a joke to someone that 
you could potentially be attracted to like i think when you when you mention pointedly with a wry look about your husband being a famous pervert uh and like i think that yeah i think that is approaching that is approaching flirting if you know and it's it's tough because like again what sans is supposed to be 14 here mm-hmm. uh she doesn't even know the word for shit uh like so i'm using that lightly but like she's definitely warming up to Tyrion. oh yeah and if not for her father's for, or if not for Tyrion's father's foreign policy, you kind of do wonder, like, I don't know if it'd take a year or five, but I don't know. Maybe there would be a little Tyrion Sansa running around. Um, it, it, I really like this scene. I like the, the clever dialogue. I love uh, Tyrion's observation. Anyone named Desmond Craycall has to be a pervert. Yeah. Um, you know, them kind of like warming up to the idea that they're made for each other because he's the demon monkey and she's a disgraced daughter. They're like literally like they would be the bad boys and girl of 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 uh, King's Landing. If mm-hmm. uh, uh, if if we could ever get some peace here, that, that'd be what what People magazine would talk about all the time. Um, and then all the the whole scene has got a little extra juice in it because Shay's in the background seething the whole time. Yeah. Uh, and and Tyrion's constantly looking over his shoulder, like, "Is this okay? <laughs> like, right. how how angry are you going to get here? Can I right. can I play this game with Sansa without you know crossing a line?" The answer is no. Well, uh, of course, that answer <laughs> is always no with Shay. Right, right. But no, it's 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 a pretty good scene, and and I one that I'd forgotten to be honest, and I can see where a lot of people would be like, yeah, if you give some like a different set of circumstances and a different amount of years, that Sansa could do a hell of a lot worse than than uh, Tyrion Lannister. Sure. Yeah, I mean, at his core, I think Tyrion is a pretty kind-hearted person. Uh, yeah, and and nothing like the rest of his family. No, I mean, the fact that he's a man in this realm that's saying, like, I'm not going to rape my wife. He's already in pretty rarefied air because most of the lords absolutely would, if yeah. it, especially if it meant securing something like the wardenship of the north. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Tyrion in this universe, is, I mean, he's he's meeting the basic standards for 20th first century decency, but he's he's uh, he stands tall amongst his his peers in, in this universe. So we go to the small council meeting where Tyrion finds out what happened to the twins. Uh, Joffrey wants to have Rob's head served to Sansa during his wedding feast, but everyone thinks he's an idiot. Uh, Tyrion threatens the king's life, to which Joffrey gets pissed, but Tywin puts him in his place and essentially sends him to bed without his supper, as Tyrion remarks. Uh, Everyone except Tyrion's dismissed, and then Tywin says he did all this to protect his family by ending the war, which... Tyrion hopes that, you know, the North won't remember this. Tywin hopes they will uh, so that they won't fuck with him. And he he also hopes that Tyrion will impregnate, impregnate Sansa. And he gives this speech about how sacrifices have to be made for the family, um, which is exactly what he did when Tyrion was born and he let him live. And then Tyrion goes to Sansa, who has quite obviously heard the news about her brother, and he just bounces. He, he leaves her the fuck alone. <laughs> That is right. not the moment to to get in there and try and convince her to bang. No, no, or anything, honestly. No, nothing. Um, nothing can be said. Yeah, it's funny because we've been talking about the hip- hypocrisy of, of Ty- uh, Tywin. Like, you know, um, all the things that he preaches versus all the times he falls short. And I feel like that this isn't this isn't a great comeback to to 
that 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 whole line of thing the fact that like oh well i let you this you know my grotesque son live and not only live but be be you know i claimed you as a lannister and all that like that's the one the that's the one sacrifice that he's made and it makes up for all the other misery that he visits on his children and the kingdom at large Mm -hmm. um did you find that persuasive uh not particularly no it was devastating to Tyrion and shut him up though which yeah that was the intention um, right. As right. as is always, the intention of Tywin is to stick it to Tyrion, uh, let him know how little uh, affection he has for him. Right. It's 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 always just to shit on Tyrion and and to make a point. You know, I mean, he he dual purposes his insults certainly. Right. But they're definitely insults. I know we talked about this this season, but like Jack Leeson. Oh uh, my god, he. He is so like this performance shouldn't work. His like <laughs> you've killed a puppy. Like this should be this should be widely lampooned. And if he was one percent less earnest, mm-hmm. it would fall the fuck apart. I'm just amazed. I'm just amazed at how good he is at being like this. Just just amazing shit. And also there's this uh, there's this menace underneath it. Like yeah, sure, Tywin's able to send him to bed now. But what the hell are they going to do with this guy? Yeah, like long like term. you you you, you, you want to laugh at him and not take him seriously, but in this universe, in that room, doing so could could lead to just instant death, instant yeah. death, and, unless you're Tyrion Lannister and you can get away with it because you know just how it would look. <laughs> well, I <laughs> how, mean, unless you're Tyrion how, Lannister how, and you have your daddy protecting you, essentially, like right? Because I think right. if Tywin's not in that room, Tyrion might be killed or or have his uh, tongue cut out. You know. It, it it was really interesting, I thought, how the room reacted to Tyrion's monsters are dangerous and kings are dropping like flies because the room kind of lets Joffrey twist and he looks to his mom, he looks to Varys, he looks to Pycelle, he looks to uh, old man Tywin and no one is is they're just like oh i, I kind of want to see what happens here i want to <laughs> see whether this boy king can like defend himself at all and yeah. then when he finally does his grandfather weighs in with the you know no true king has to say that he's king mm-hmm. and then you start to see people start taking sides because uh you know tywin has but I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I, there's a lot of really subtle stuff here. Like, uh, Varys' just face of disdain when, like, Joffrey has to say, I'm the king, you know? Like, he, he knows this lesson better than than uh, uh, better than anyone at the table. And he's just like, oh, my God, unforced error. Mm-hmm. Not cool, man. Uh, Pycelle with his old fingers. <laughs> God, I love um, that. Yeah. Yeah, the, the yeah. funny thing, like, Joffrey, you know, shouting... I am the king, and then you know Tywin saying any any man who needs to say that is no true king. I'm think, I'm also thinking when he shouts, "I am not tired." Any mm. man who shouts, "I am not tired," must <laughs> right. be tired. You're going yeah, to bed, I'm, Joffrey. Yeah, I mean, Joff, because you know Joff's only fourteen too, and like the humiliation of your grandfather sending you off to bed when you're the king, oh. and what are you going? I mean, this is why I always think there's. Like, like now, nah, I mean, I don't know. Tywin would have to really misplay his hand badly to have Joffrey ever give him the balance of power. Like in this room right here, the Kingsguard are there. 
but nobody mm-hmm. steps in and there's like you know no one puts no one puts our sire to bed against <laughs> his leave like everybody knows where the bread's buttered in this room yeah uh how many years can he keep that like but but that's what it says it seems like time would have to consistently misplay his hand over the course of years to ever lose control to this this boy king and joffrey over those years would either you know get religion or get got i think mm-hmm. um but no, I, I thought that was good. I also really liked the subplot of Tyrion realizing that his father's decisive moves, which we praised, la- you know, in a certain kind of Machiavellian real politic way last season, uh, like Tyrion can see the future and like, well, yeah, you've got five, ten years left. We're going to be fighting your wars. We'll never pacify the North after mm-hmm. what you've done. And half of the kingdoms are going to feel the same way. Like it's. Uh, you know, that's any, any kind of policy that essentially is scorched earth. You better, you better utterly defeat those people and you better never need them again. Yeah. Because if any of those things are not true, you're just breeding an endless, endless war. And you got to keep your boot on their neck too, you know? I mean, but, but I think Tywin is fully prepared to do that. I think like Tywin's strategy works for Tywin. You know, Tywin's prepared to let Roose Bolton do that. <laughs> sure, sure. And yeah. whenever, whenever Tywin kicks the bucket, however many years from now, and Tyrion has to start fighting these wars, I or or Jamie or Cersei or Joffrey, whoever, th- then you're going to have problems because you're using the philosophy of a man who no longer exists and a man who doesn't have the same philosophies you hold. So, yeah, yeah, it's 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 a dangerous thing long term, and and that seems to be what Tywin is pushing for, right? Is that long-term right. effect for his family to to raise their position. I wonder if we're... Because, like, this scene kind of introduces, in my mind, the specter of Tywin rushing. Like, yes, this was a decisive blow against the North, and you did engineer it well, but, like, he's saying, with my few years left, I'm trying to forge this dynasty, right? Mm-hmm. Well... Like you said, this is kind of short-term wise, long-term foolish. If Tywin had another, a sure thing, 20 years ahead of him, if he's a younger man, uh, I wonder if he makes these same plays. Because he's not a fool. No, he's Uh, not. But then again, Tywin also, like Tywin, his formative, the thing he cut his, he made his bones on was the the utter destruction of a rival house to his power in his own, in his own realm. Yeah. So like, you know, he learned that less, like, like if, if, if. You know, if you're a hammer, all the world looks like nails. So maybe he's just like, I'm going to treat the North just like I did the reigns of Castamere. And look how that turned out. I'll have a new song about the wolves of Winterfell or some bullshit that I can play. At the, the, my, my, my sons and daughters can play at their red weddings. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's what's so great about Game of Thrones is there's enough of our real world understanding and history in it that you can see. The sh- you can you can you can applaud like the brilliant short term strategies and tactics, but also be like, ooh yeah, but in the real world and Game of Thrones tries to be a real world. This is this is problematic and the characters themselves are realizing it, too. Yeah, at least the smart ones are. I don't think Cersei has. No, uh, <laughs> no. Although Cersei's smart enough to know that they're going to be fighting for a long time. That's true. I mean, Tyrion Tyrion's able to give her that lesson uh, uh, where, where like, yeah, it's beyond Joffrey. All right, we go to Mira, who has scouted an empty castle on the wall which they hunker down in. Bran tells scary stories about a man who was turned into a rat for violating uh, the guest right. I think that's what it's called. Just killing mm-hmm. someone who they've taken into their house. That mm-hmm. uh, these next few scenes kind of just naturally flow into each other, which I really mm-hmm. love. Um, 
this one, you know, we talk about violating the guest right, and then we go right to Roose Bolton's smash cut. Roose right Bolton scene. And, you know, he's talking yeah. about uh, what happened to Theon, and then we go right into Ramsay eating the sausage. It's yep. it's a really nice flow to it over these these next few minutes. Yeah, it's almost like Archer, right? Like where yeah. the last word of the the scene introduces the it's the first word of the next scene. Uh-huh. Like, I mean, it's not funny, but it's very much <laughs> like bang, 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 smash cut, smash cut, smash cut. That it's, sausage it's scene is pretty funny. The sausage scene, funny. almost inappropriately so, but uh-huh. yeah, like that thing is one of the most that's 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 the probably most famous gift sequence that came out of this season. Yeah, uh, Ramsey holding it up and doing the little <laughs> the jiggle, the, just the, 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 the sausage wiggle. Yeah, yep. the phantom, the phantom itch. So good. Uh, so, anything to say about this mirror scene? The the Hodor echo was awesome. I love that. Yeah, the echoing. I got the echoing Hodor, and it's cool to see the Night Fort. Of course, the Night Fort's been built up because you know Sam gave us a bunch of data dump about it, and here's Bran talking about its cursed nature, um, and these old sco- stories tales they told about it. And there's fresh blood. It's very creepy and menacing, mm-hmm. and but but really, it's it's its sole point is it's efficient because it's to introduce the next scene and kind of like for people that maybe not be book readers or not steep in the lore, like they've done a lot of heavy lifting these last three episodes would be like this. I'm trying to think of what, uh, of what would be similarly shocking. Let's, let's say that like, um, I don't know, uh, North Korea hosted a diplomatic summit with United States and South Korea and Japan. And why they're over there, they killed the entire diplomatic staff, uh, including the secretary of state. Like it, like just, just, it'd be that kind of beyond the pale. Like you, you fucking killed ambassadors and you're mm-hmm. like like that's this is this is poison you're the the reason the 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 gods hate it um is probably because like if you cannot if you cannot discuss important matters under flags of truce and and in rival lords halls then the mechanism that society functions on completely breaks down sure it's like it's the same war. reason same reason one of the government's prime, uh, you know, uh, historically has been it's, it's one of its prime functions is enforce contracts and the law, because if you don't have that and this is kind of like this is what you need to discuss those of this is the foundation you need to discuss those other things. So mm-hmm. gods hate it. Um, you can debate whether the gods really hate it or it's one of those things where, like, you know, the gods said they hate it because we need it we need everyone to believe in it but yeah they, right. they're just hammering a home that this is beyond the pale every child in westeros knows you fucking don't kill people that have taken sanctuary underneath the roof yeah and it has the whole feel of like a ghost story to it i love them sitting around the fire you know talking like uh this is scary stories to tell in the dark or something yeah, yeah, yeah. like it's it's got a real good feeling to it which comes back later when sam shows up and and they kind of do the scary ghost in the darkness they think it's the rat king you know right right real good uh so yeah like i said we smash cut over to walder Frey gloating over his recent victory roos and Frey congratulate each other and then Frey asks him what happened at winterfell roos says his bastard ramsey uh captured theon after rob offered them amnesty if they handed him over and now he's doing his thing with theon and they've just kind of said ah well rob's dead so we're not going to honor that agreement at all and yeah. they couldn't deliver Theon, you know. Ramsey had to go get him, so. Right. Um, yeah, this, this is a nice little efficient scene that uh, lets us know a couple of things. Uh, the Blackfish has escaped, mm-hmm. and this season, entire season, has told us that the Blackfish is a man to be reckoned with. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't have an army, he doesn't, but if he ever found one, holy, and, and Rusus, you know, 
Roos is the, the the brains of this operation, right? Sure. Um, so the fact that he like you know he's trying to warn Frey and and and, and Frey doesn't give a shit, and Roos is like, as you say, um, and then like just the how Frey is just obsessed with all these slights that he's and 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 Roos is turning his mind to more serious things about you know whether you should move to Winterfell and how he's going to pat you know Roos is he's he knows he is a Northman. He knows mm-hmm. how much the people love the Starks. He knows what a shit he's been, and he's going to have to try to rule over this land. Uh, it's the biggest. It's it's bu- the biggest land area. It's like the North is as big as the other six kingdoms combined. Yeah, and he has shit on the people who have popularly ruled over this place for millennia. He has violated the most sacred social norm. How the fuck? How do you fuck? Do you go- how the fuck do you govern? How do you fuck do you govern? Yeah, no, um, it's, it's going to be hard. Luckily, the North has no more armies left. Uh, right, well, yeah. th- there are pockets. There are pockets. Right. But I, I bet there's lots of Boltons. Lots of Boltons. Yeah, yeah, probably lots of Boltons. Probably lots of support from, you know, Tywin Lannister. The, the, he's in a pretty good position as far as mm. uh, military might positions go. But mm. you're right. He's not. He does not have the will of the people, certainly. Right. Um, right. So, I, I don't know. We'll see how it goes for him. I definitely get the feeling that... Roos is sort of humoring Frey in this scene, uh, mm-hmm. but but not entirely. I also think he is a little bit reveling in the victory they just scored. Yeah, uh, there, there's kinda... something in his demeanor that's like halfway between humoring an old stupid man and knowing, hey, we just did an awesome thing here. I think he's feeling him out. Like, how much of mm-hmm. an alliance do I want to? Like, this was an alliance of convenience, uh, and we're all smart for taking it. But all oh, right, Walter Frey is an asshole. Yeah. And a stupid one at that. Like, it's kind of like that Roos kind of distancing himself, like, you know, being polite and all that and being secretly pleased with himself, but uh, also thinking this man's a fool um, and just lucked into this situation. Okay, so the next scene, uh, Ramsey eats a pork sausage while he taunts Theon about his dismembered member. Uh, Theon begs for death, but Ramsey says they need him alive. And Ramsey gives him a new name, Reek. Yeah. Uh, Uh, yeah what do you say about this scene it's it's excellent yeah it's another it's another torture scene it brings it brings us up to seven seven scenes of torture in 10 episodes worth of content um Mm -hmm. this is the and it all is to serve this like um you know i i I, it's a kunta kinte moment right it's it's where you like like if you want to show a character being utterly broken by a captor you give them a new name and you force them to internalize it, right? Sure. Uh, which is which is why it's effective. Um, when he gets to this point, and you can see that there's still a little bit of Theon left, but you know, what do you do? What do you do? You strap to uh, a, a, a cross, and a guy's just going to just continue to beat the piss out of you. It's going to get worse and worse until you say what they want. Like I, I mean. I want to say I don't know what that does to a person, but we do know what it does to a person. We don't. We know what pervasive psychological and physical torture does to people. It dehumanizes them and breaks them down to this level, and that's that's what this that's what all this has led up to. The fact that this you're supposed to understand that this man is no longer Theon Greyjoy, mm-hmm. um, which serves to like the the scene we sit with the, the 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 Greyjoys kind of debating what to do. Like that that adds juice to that, but like. All of this torture has come down to this, that 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 Ramsey has broken this man down and turned him into something subhuman. Yeah, my touchstone for this concept of breaking someone down and forcing them to 
think a certain way is that episode of Star Trek where uh, the Cardassians cap- yeah, capture Picard and force him to say there are four lights. Uh, that would have been a much more, be- that'd be a better analogy for me to make rather than LeVar Burton's performance. Of <laughs> that been, I don't know, <laughs> that'd that have been safe, safer and more appropriate territory for me to trot on. That's so, just yeah. where my mind goes. Uh, that That is indelibly ingrained in my brain, apparently. There are four, four lights. All right, Brandon Company wake up to the sounds of someone approaching. It gets all spooky, but it turns out to be just Sam and Gilly. Uh, Sam realizes that Bran is John's brother and offers to help. Uh, Bran wants to go north, but Sam wants him to meet up with John at Castle Black. Uh, so Jojen steps in and says, hey, I saw the Army of the Dead. They have to go north because uh, we got to stop them. We're the only ones who can. Yeah, and that's like, this is a great scene because... There's a part of Bran that you believe wants to go with this man who's yeah. like, you're my brother just as much as you're and like I uh, I'm a man of the Night's Watch and I know your brother and I'm familiar with Direwolves and I know about Hodor and I love Hodor's reaction to being famous. Yeah. Like he's he's uh, he's a uh, Night's Watch famous. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I, I, I love all that. And there's this like kind of hopeful moment. And then Bran realizes, nah, that's not what I'm that's not what I'm meant to do. And also. The same moment in inverse with Sam realizes like, oh, you're going to stop the White Walkers. Like how utterly foolish. It looks like some damn child's crusade. Yeah. Uh, that. But what do you do? What do you do? No. Um, and, and Bran is right on the edge. I mean, most of the time that we've seen Bran, he's been kind of on the edge of am I going right. to follow this supposed destiny that I have that this weird creep from the woods is telling me all about. Um, and, you know, my brain is kind of telling me this is the right path too or am i going to follow all logic and all reason and and the comfortable thing you know to mm-hmm. go back to my family to be reunited with them yeah i mean these last few episodes like uh brand's really grown up right and like up until now it's still been like oh these are ghost stories that old nan and asha are trying to scare me with but now you've got this guy who's like no i just been up there and it's bad and i had to kill one of these fuckers and it was all i could do to do it mm-hmm. and there's thousands more and 10 times that many is dead been and yet bran by faith essentially mm-hmm. and jojen's green seeing decides nah i'm gonna i'm i'm, I'm gonna keep uh, keep on keeping on he, he like i said this is the i think the scene where he grows up yeah okay then we get a message from ramsey delivered to balon Greyjoy that tells them to retreat to the iron islands or be killed uh he also delivers a box with theon's cock in it and says more theon will follow if they don't leave the north Balon decides not to retreat over Yara's protests, and she makes a decision, too. She's going to take a, the fastest ship in the fleet and 50 men, and she's going to go save him. Yeah, that's a cool That's a cool moment when, like, her dad turns into a fucking total asshole, uh, and, and, and kind she's of pathetic, like, too. Like, I look at Balon's reaction to this, and he's he stands in front of Yara, and he says, like, reason after reason like he's trying to justify it not only to her but mm-hmm. to himself like oh you know he he's an idiot he betrayed us he like doesn't all, have a cock anymore doesn't have a cock he's not a man he can't further the bloodline like all of the reasons that he's giving are reasons that don't matter to yara right yeah and, and, and he can see that on son. her face right yeah. and, and he knows he i think he feels some shame in this moment like oh yeah for not supporting theon but you know, he he is a little bit cowardly in that way. There, there, there's a lot of symmetry between this and uh, Davos pleading for Gendry, right? 
like you know all these reasons why you should should versus the one reason why you, you shouldn't which is because it's that it's not the right thing to do and that's essentially what our what what uh, yara is saying as well yeah it kind of um, makes the those people look a little pathetic Honestly. And also, like, she knows she's got the moral high because her, the king could just be like, fuck you, you're not going to take the best. But she knows that I got, right. I've got I've got the moral high ground here and there's nothing you can do to stop me. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know that Balon thinks he could either. Like, maybe he could kill her right there. But if she walks out the hall and says, hey, I want the best ship and the 50 best men to go free the air to, you know, the Iron Islands, who's with me? There's nothing like there's there's the, that's. I, I, the, the Ironborn are a little bit more democratic than most Westerosi institutions. So the fact that she's got a head of steam and the the men uh, respect her is is a powerful position to be in, and she's going to use it to save her brother. Fuck what Balon thinks. And, and I think if he tries to say no, you can't have a ship. No, you can't have fifty men. She's just going to go herself. Yeah, like that's the right. determination on her face in that moment. I will do this. Give me the tools I need. Otherwise, I'm doing it myself, and I'm going to get killed. And what and would Balon do if his gone. daughter showed him up in terms of courage? Like, yeah, you know, yeah. he 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 could do that calculus. Sure. Uh, so, yeah, re- another really strong scene, I thought. Yep. So we move on to Sam showing Bran's group the dragon glass that he found, and he explains that it kills White Walkers, which uh, they're, they're all on board with. He warns <laughs> Bran that there are many more dead men walking in the north, but they part ways uh, with Sam and Gilly, and they head north. Yeah, the whole I wish you'd come with us. I wish I could. It's uh, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. Yeah, and I like the visual of them walking down through the the tunnel in the wall. Yeah, uh, it's it's nice. It it almost looks like the the vision of death that most people have, right? Where they're walking right. toward the light. Yeah, heading towards the light. Yeah. Um, Hopefully, that's a good omen. Uh, thought we got um a little robbed because the scene like the this gate. Because that's the thing is like, you know, Sam talked about how all these gates are like frozen shut with rubble and stone that they've been abandoned. I mean, this looks like a giant fucking tunnel. Mm -hmm. And the books is just this like really narrow little door that's like magical weirwood thing that like grows slightly larger um, to uh, admit men of the Night's Watch through it. Uh, And, I you know, I I don't know. It's I, I felt like that. One of the mission statements of the double D's are we're going to really shy away from magic mm-hmm. unless it's vital to the plot, because we know what people are here for and we don't want to wear that. Plus, we also don't want to spend the hundred thousand dollars it would take to make that thing happen. But sure. I do do wish do wish there's some some budget for better CGI wolves and the weirwood door that guards the secret tunnel at the night fort. I did think the wolf was fine in this episode. Yeah, no, he the, the he he wasn't mauling actively mauling people either. So that's true. He was just standing there and walking around, being a badass. Yep. All right, Davos visits Gendry in the cell, who has lumped him in with Melisandre, Stannis, and the other Highborns. Davos ingratiates himself to the skeptical Gendry by explaining where the shit flow of King's Landing, uh, where in the shit flow of King's Landing he grew up, which is Gin Alley. Uh, Gendry asks why he accepted lordship. Davos says he did it so his son could have a better life, but his son died because he followed Davos. It's yeah, tragic. I love that whole. I was born in Gin Alley, streets of steel. You're middle class, son. Uh-huh. Get, get the fuck out of here. Fancy with this part of town. High board stuff. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. then also the fact that like Davos is humble enough to be like, yeah, I mean, I did all this, and I'm rubbing, I'm, I'm rubbing. Like that's the other thing. Like. Gendry let himself get talked into this highborn shit and he got a leeched and Davos let himself get talked into it and his son died. Yeah. Because of Davos. 
and I think that's another thing that like kind of humanizes him and and makes uh you know his lack of arrogance and his like bonding over like yeah we we I'm a knight and I'm a sir, but I still get jobbed by these rich folk, mm-hmm. uh, by these 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 uh, these blue bloods. Um, that's what really cements their bond. And of yeah, course, and it, f- freeing him from certain death doesn't doesn't hurt either. <laughs> sure, uh, it definitely makes Davos a more sympathetic character too. Like he kind of always is. Um, mm-hmm. I I just get good feelings when I think about Davos. Right, he's the guy trying to do right. the right thing. He comes from nothing essentially. Uh, he he's very reluctant to to claim this power which i feel is like what a good leader should be is mm-hmm. is not power hungry that's very much not davos i mm-hmm. i don't know i just like davos as a human being right all right next scene is varus trying to uh convince shay to leave uh he's bonding with her over their foreigner status and once that's done he gives her diamonds and says uh sail away from here because she's endangering the life of the one man who might be able to save the country uh, Shay throws the diamonds on the ground and tells Varys that if Tyrion wants her to leave, he can tell her himself. I uh, did. Hasn't he? Hasn't he already done this? Oh no! For for I mean, for sure. For sure. I I, I just like when the, she says this, I shout at the screen. He has you, dummy. Yeah. Just leave. That's that's the play here. Yeah. And the fact that she's because I don't I don't buy for a minute to, that Tyrion put Varys up to this. I think uh, Varys. No, I don't think so. I think I think Varys is doing what he's doing. He's trying to serve the realm, and he sees Tyrion as a really important piece, and he can't be distracted or taken off the board just for her dumbass. Yeah, and she, God damn it, Shay, God damn it. I mean, I don't have anything against Shay, um, and I like this scene. Like I said, this is the best scene because it's the one that I think convinces me that she does love Tyrion. That this is like some some kind of genuine shit. Um, I don't I don't mm. I don't think they've earned it. I don't think they've told that story well. But in this moment, I, I believe it because, you know, that's what's being asserted here by Varys, who's a smart guy. It mm. takes fucking all of Varys's authority and weight to make me believe that Shay might love Tyrion. But she loves him the way like a dysfunctional, crazy, you know, quote unquote, like 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 she loves him the way a girl that sets a man's uh car on fire because she suspects him of cheating loves him like it's it's dangerous and destructive and codependent and hopeless and you know very like stupid romeo and juliet which mm-hmm. is saying something because romeo and juliet is pretty stupid so uh what do you what do you think she, she she loves him the way that jamie loves cersei <laughs> No, and it's like that's other thing. Like you realize the these are all these are all children. This woman's been raped yeah. on a semi-daily basis since she's nine years old. She she was traded over here at thirteen to be a pleasure servant. I mean, it's she comes by all this pathos honestly. It's just it's it's just uh, it's it's going to just it's 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 liable to destroy Tyrion. Uh, yeah. So I mean, it, I, I I don't know. I I don't know. I, I don't like Shay. I don't like the storyline. I don't think it was very well executed, <laughs> but this is the pinnacle. This right here. Yeah, and th- there's a moment in the scene where you think she might be getting the point. She might be finally understanding. And beca- because Varys being a third party to this, yeah. I think is able to cut through some of the, the passion and the emotion right, in the situation right, and right. really start to get it into her head that this is a very bad thing, not only for you, not only for Tyrion, uh, but more importantly, for everyone, for the realm, like we're we're trying to do something so much bigger than your little tryst here. So get the fuck out of the way. 
he says it much nicer than that. And he almost cuts through, but not quite. And, and similar to the way like Davos bonded with Gendry, he says to say, like, look, I, I, I know you because I am you. Yeah. And I know what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to go to a faraway place and live a life of comfort and watch the man you love be uh like this heroic figure or maybe die a, a a martyr's death and you're going to be nothing to him you're going to be the person that took off and like in fact you'll probably he'll probably assume the worst about you mm-hmm. um he's offering her a chance to be a paid but why would she like she's not from this country she doesn't give a shit she just cares about Tyrion, and from like you know what like 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 she says well, why doesn't Tyrion why doesn't Tyrion why don't we both take these diamonds and go off and be comfortable why does he have to be here yeah um I mean but that that's that, that's so tropey the woman that's like trying to hold the man back uh you know it's like every fucking boxer's girlfriend ever it's Rocky mm-hmm. Balboa's wife you know it's 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 this is wet blanket shit I don't I don't care for it yeah it, it does. I guess make the possibility of them running off together more possible, you know, like th- this bag of diamonds, the right. thing that could give them wealth where Tyrion wouldn't have to go juggle or, or be uh, you know, some kind of joke. He could just live his life in relative comfort. Yeah. Uh, and like, but the thing is, is like, that's, I guess the, now that you said that, like Tyrion could do that. Tyrion could run off with his weight in gold and steal do the same gold. thing. Yeah. And he knows that. Right. But it, he He's doesn't got do to. it. Yeah. yeah. And what she doesn't know is if she ran off with Varys' diamonds and Tyrion, Varys, you'll come back to Westeros 10 years later in a fucking box. You're not going to do Varys that way. You're not going to fucking yeah. do Varys that way. Cut, it, cut off his sack of diamonds and... Yeah, exactly. He'll end up back exactly. in the box. Yeah, he'll, he'll get them diamonds back. All right, Tyrion gets Podrick very drunk. Uh, but more, more drunk than Podrick is comfortable with until Cersei shows up and tells him to leave. Uh, she tries to convince Tyrion to give Sansa a child so she can have a tiny bit of happiness in her life. And she tells this, you know, the the story about Joffrey being born, how he's such a happy baby, and it was the only thing that kept her from throwing herself off the, the Red Keep. Uh, oh, it's, yeah. It's, it's a very good scene. I, I like it a lot. That's how Joff will be known in history books. Jo- Joffrey the Jolly. Uh, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, that's, that's definitely how As long he'll as be he remembered. gets to write the history books, sure. Right. And, you know, it's like there's like... I think a realization of Cersei that like, well, this kid started off okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, me and Robert ruined him. Uh, Pretty much, like, like yeah. that. There, she's self aware enough to kind of realize that. Um, and then you go, you, you so you 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 get to that dark place, and then Tyrion starts talking about their father's foreign policy and how, mm-hmm. you know, when when will this be over? When the wars are over? But every time we defeat an enemy, we create two more. Well, this is going to go on for quite some time, but. You know, that's the thing is like Cersei, Cersei, I find it much easier to pity um, because like I think she does try to play the game. Uh, it's just that she doesn't have very good plays by mm-hmm. virtue of being a woman and by virtue of being the, you know, married to Robert and now being the queen. She doesn't have a lot of uh, a, a great plays. I guess she could do the Tyrion. Her and Jamie could both do the Tyrion Shea thing and take their weight in gold and go off to uh, Essos and start a new life. But they're traveling oh, to the point was like if it wasn't for my children i'd thrown myself off a tower that's yeah. fucked up man <laughs> it is can you imagine what tywin's reaction would be if jamie and cersei stole a bunch of gold and were right. never heard from again i man i don't know the, i mean and, that's and the, the thing, only like, son he's left with is Tyrion. uh t- 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 <laughs> tywin could afford a lot of faceless men 
Like I, I don't know yeah, that yeah. I that I like their chances. Although T- Tyrion's pretty smart. Tyrion's a pretty like if if anyone is going to evade uh, a Tyrion or a Tywin banked Death Note, it would be it'd be Tyrion Lannister. Mm. Okay, uh, Arya and the Hound ride past a group of men who are bragging about being the one. Well, one of the guys is bragging about being the one who sewed the wolf's head onto Rob. Uh, Arya dismounts and stabs a man to death, and the Hound has to deal with the other three, and he does. He yeah, easily, he does. easily does. He's a fucking monster. Uh, my my favorite part of this scene, though, is the very, very end. Right before they cut, you can see the hound digging into the food mm-hmm. of the men he's just killed. Sure. I love it. He sits down yeah. and starts eating some chicken. Yeah, he's a practical, he's a practical brigand. And yeah, yeah. he's he's got a he's got a penchant for the chicken. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I, I mean, I, I don't know why, but I love all the every time the hound is a killer. There's something like mythic to it, the way they film it and how like just, you know, big and 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 lanky uh, Rory is um, and just how imposing and just how I mean, he doesn't just stab dudes. He like cuts them in twain. It's 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 ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's like Darth Vader in that uh, hallway full of rebels and 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 uh, first contact or whatever the hell uh rebel assault yep. yes that yes. star trek movie yeah yes Darth Vader, uh, when he the courtship those... of princess leia when he was going down and more mow, mowing people down in the hallway it's got how, kind of how i feel about the hound and not even the mountain the mountain's always doing stupid shit like gutting dudes and cutting mm-hmm. horse heads off but like you never see him the, the hound's got some kind of weird grace about him i i like i like watching the man killing dudes that deserve to be killed um but Arya, what, so what do you think of Arya's first, uh, like, like her first flipping or switch into murder girl mode? Uh, I know we she's killed a boy, and that's like the pointed. Yeah, that's the first man I've killed. Um, but it's that I don't know, kind of like bittersweet. It's it's sweet. She's killing people, like sweet, but it's it's bitter because she's like eleven years old. Yeah, uh, you hate to see it, but you love to watch it. You know, right? <laughs> right. Uh, but also, she's very sloppy. She's very sloppy. Like, I mean, the hound's not there. She's dead. You know, and I don't think she I mean, I think this is a this is a this is a, a death. By, this is a suicide by Frey attempt yeah, for sure that that the hound stops just because he's a fucking badass. Right. But there's there's a lot of going on in the hood there. Like the fact that she's, you know, this 11 year old girl who dreamed of being a great warrior um, who probably never would have given the chance, you know, barring these series of unfortunate events that she's lemony snicketed her way into. But now now she's a butcher which is not what she really mm-hmm. wanted to be um and wanting to die on top of that it's yeah it's uh and and the fact that she stole that the fact that she stole the hound's knife in a slick enough way that he didn't even know kind of mm-hmm. also belies some of the badass smack that he's been talking about like oh just try it girl like she could have she could have she could have she could have opened you up and you would have never even known it so yeah. you're starting to just the myth of Arya starting to build sneaky both Sneaky good and bad, yeah. All right, Egret catches up with John, and she aims an arrow at him. John says, "Look, I didn't have a choice to do the things I did," and tells he tells her that they both love each other, obviously, but he's got to go home. Uh, so he turns to leave, and she puts an arrow in him, and then two more as he rides off. She's not kidding with the "you know nothing, John Snow." Yeah, yeah. He, she should have said, "You won't kill me." Uh, been at, but you won't hurt me. That's an incorrect statement. John absolutely. Snow. This is the think like uh, this is the thinking man's Romeo and Juliet, right? All right. Like, 
Uh-huh. I, if you want to do Starcross Lovers, this is a good way to do it. Like, I love everything about, and like the fact that, like John, what John says, she, like, like that you've known the whole time. You've mm-hmm. known exactly that I have not changed and I'm the same guy and you love me for it and I love you. And just kind of like, you know, uh, uh, this is a better version of Tyrion and Shay because John could have said, come with me and you can defect and we can, you know, whatever. And she's like, come with like either one of them. All, all you have to do to be happy with the one you love is give up every other ideal you have. It's sure. so easy. So uh, easy. But it's it, yeah, and, and it, it's they wrestle with it, and she she fucking like John so could die. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, I don't think she's trying to kill him, but uh, it's great, it's great. I love it, uh, and also I felt like you know, she's grief stricken, but also like the fact that she's sending him home with a couple arrows is kind of like allowing him to go home with honor. Uh huh. You know, like there'll be so many questions about, oh, you killed Car in half hand and you've been sleeping with the enemy and all. But like the fact that, you know, she put a quiver, half a quiver full of arrows in him. I, I wonder how much of that is like going through her head, too. Like she's trying to help him make it look good. And, and I she, think it for her as well, too, I guess. That's the thing. Like, I think it helps her retain her own identity or her own yeah. sense of identity as well. Yeah. As a, a wildling free folk. The thing that's so great about it is neither one of them feel like they have what's the upper hand. Like, they're mm-hmm. both stubborn. They're both not going to... You know they're not going to give up their ideals for each other. They've been living a fantasy and a dream, but it still hurts. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's it's great. It is. All right, Sam arrives at Castle Black where he meets with Maester Eamon. It's, it's Eamon, right? Yes. Okay. Eamon, Eamon. Yeah. Uh, Maester assumes that the baby is Sam's, but Sam sets him straight claiming that he remembers every word of his oath, every single one, which also happens to cover the wildlings as much as anyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Eamon decides to let Gilly and the baby stay for the time being. Then he has Sam apparently write 44 consecutive letters to be sent that night. That's a lot of writing. Mm. Sam Sam did not get into the Night's Watch to write 44 letters. Forget the Valerian steel. Sam would trade his, uh, a, a giant fortune for the invention of carbon paper. <laughs> Right, carbon paper, the printing press. I mean, just if you yeah. if you're gonna get an invention, yeah, yeah. Go, like, go can we can? Press. We've been stuck in the Middle Ages for eight thousand years. What the fuck? Can I get some movable type in here? Can I get a Gutenberg? Can we I have get the technology? Yeah, ty- forget forget Valerian steel. We need a we we need a movable type set press. I'm tired of this. My and hands are crampy. Make the letters out of. Valerian steel if you really want to <laughs> right yeah you, just, you don't have to make one set um mm-hmm. that's good it's good and like this whole like like the dawning of sam realizing and t- it's him and him and john both are kind of having this realization that these people that they've been at bitter war with their entire lives and i've hated they're just people compared yeah. to the monsters that they're facing um, right right that's the big the big game changer here for right. lack of a better word is is the white walkers um, and, you know, protecting the realms of men very much applies to the men, you know, and women and children and everything up north beyond mm-hmm. the wall. Mm-hmm. So I, I agree with Sam. Uh, apparently, Eamon does as well. It'll be interesting to see. We see the reaction to Stannis, uh, but we'll, it, it's it's it. I think you're supposed to wonder like what kind like this is this is given the full weight of the triumphant Game of Thrones music, the same shit that plays when uh, Yara is given that badass speech about the 50 best murderers and uh-huh. and, and the Iron Islands. And you're like, I wonder, like we saw in previous seasons that 
this the king's landing and the you know the the Southrons broadly just don't give a shit about the wall and they think that uh the the lord commanders up there are prone to exaggeration and begging for funds and men uh like you wonder how serious will be taken or the opposite like what if Stannis and Joffrey and Roos, like, like, what if, like, all the different claimants all show up at the wall because, like, okay, I mean, he sent it to 44 great houses, like, mm-hmm. that would be just as big as a problem if no one shows up or one shows up, you know? Uh, yeah. What will happen? I don't know. The, Quite- they would probably end up slaughtering each other before the right. White Walkers even got there, and then right. nobody to defend the realm, so. Quite a full table the Double Ds are setting for next season. Yeah, I like it. All right, we go to Davos, who's reading letters, which are super boring. Shireen suggests reading her much more interesting books, but Davos is trying to stay informed on the happenings of Westeros, uh, which he does successfully when he reads a note, presumably from Maester Aemon about the White Walkers, uh, and he goes to the war room where Melisandre is pretty smug about her god killing Robb Stark. Uh, Davos does not want to take the throne with magic, but Stannis says he will use whatever means necessary. And in this case, it's the the red magic. Uh, Melisandre claims that they must burn Gendry to claim the throne, and Stannis agrees. Uh, So Davos goes and frees Gendry and sends him away in a rowboat. I thought it was a nice touch to have the bells tolling for Rob, because, like, the bells usually toll for, uh, you know, we we found uh, for important births. Uh, important hmm. deaths and like i felt like um it's a it's a sign of like the a measure of respect that stannis had for someone he would absolutely kill as an usurper but that's yeah. the, that's that's stannis right like uh grateful to davos give him a knighthood but also cut his fingers off because he's a thief sure. rob a serper uh you know trying to take his position's rightful king but you know also good warrior i liked his dad uh, so we'll ring the bells for him. Um, I, I like that little the little note that they give the of, of the Stannis being complicated. Mm-hmm. But yeah, fucking Mel, the smugger she is, the more I hate her. Yeah, no, yeah. It's, it, she man when she takes credit for Rob's death, I'm like coincidence, lady. Come on. I mean, that's the. Th- I mean, yeah, you and I would say that, but like. What would Stannis say when he just literally threw the the leeches on the flame and almost miraculously like no, you know, like the fact because because I, I wonder if I wonder if it's even thought like like how who starts to put together who greased what what wheels, you know, what what I, I think it's going to be pretty clear when people start getting their rewards that like who's greasing <laughs> the wheels. But like I wonder, right. I mean, Stannis is pretty smart. Uh, and, and I, I don't think Davos line of attack goes unnoticed. Like, I think that Stannis is willing to admit that like, okay, yeah, I burnt the leech. King died. Should I be, should I be thanking the red God or Tywin Lannister? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Uh, It's pretty easy to thank the red God when the red woman is in the room. I I do think that, that Davos's plea that you can't win using blood magic is particularly weak. And Stannis really rhetorically hands him his ass. Like, yeah, well, you know, this, this thing was conquered by dragons and dragons are magic. And the fact is I'm the King, the realm needs me and I will use whatever arms I've got, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, I'll go full fucking nuclear if I have to, which is historically been Melisandre's vagina. Um, yeah. And and Davos's only recourse is to, go outside of the the structure here you know and go yeah. free gendry by himself yeah uh and hope that you know his argument later about you'll need me will prevail 
I love the little line between Davos and Gendry where Gendry is like, is this some kind of trick? And Davos is like, yes, but not on you. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. he's, I, I, I think Davos, I mean, it's a toss up between Davos and Tyrion, who my favorite character is. Yeah, Davos uh, is so good. He's so good. And Liam, what is his name? Cunningham uh, so. embodies him effortlessly with this like kind of charm and warmth. And like you can tell he's a deeply ignorant man, but he's also very wise. Yeah. Because uh, he's been able to see this game from both sides and, you know, he's he's appropriately skeptical of th- authority and power and ze- zeal and uh, an appropriate respect for the weight of his office. I just yeah, he's he's good. He's good. He's sure the is. people's Tyrion. <laughs> <laughs> All right. John barely makes it back to Castle Black alive and he collapses outside the gate and the men bring him inside. Oh, he falls on his arrows. Yeah. Oh, I- yeah. I always Ouch. notice that, like when you got your you got your arrow sticking out your back and you fall on your back, like oh my god, it's <laughs> gotta I, hurt. Yeah, yeah, it's like fall fall on your stomach, man. Like like yaha. Mm-hmm. Not bad, not good. And there's a good moment here with when Sam sees him. Yes, uh, you know I think Sam never expected to see John alive again. Right. Uh, so this is a pleasant surprise for him, and it's all over his face, and I like it a lot. Yeah, yeah. Then Jamie arrives in King's Landing, where he gets a small taste of what it's like to be a commoner, at least, that is, until he reaches Cersei. Uh, it, Cersei's reaction here to Jamie. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think, much like Sam with John, she kind of didn't expect to ever see Jamie again. Yeah, and it's like, so I had a different reaction. I okay. was thinking that my, my notes say, poor Jamie, the fool actually loves Cersei. And Cersei loves a particular image of Jamie. Like <laughs> it's not the shit covered one that with, with, without with, a hand that, and, that's lame and limping. Uh-huh. Like you know, she has always fantasized that they are the same, right? And now that it's like it's, I guess it's like the mirror or the 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 picture of Dorian Gray. Like, well, shit. Look how bad my my the, the reflection in the mirror is looking. It's 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 not not cool. Like uh, Jamie is accumulating all of the sins that we jointly commit. Um, I don't know. There was some kind of hesitation about it. Wasn't like oh my. It wasn't like a ghost walked into a door. It's almost like this is what I wanted, but now that I've got it, ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely in there. Uh, it's that and i also think there's a bit of like i got so wrapped up in the shit that's happening in king's landing that i kind of forgot about you for a while right you know i think she's very much got her head in a certain place um with the weddings that are happening uh the machiavellian maneuverings all that has kind of taken the place of jamie in her mind yeah now jamie's back and it's almost a shock to her in that in that way right uh so davos comes clean to stannis about freeing gendry and Stannis sentences him to death, but uh, as the hand of the king, Davos advises him real quickly about uh, against killing him essentially it's because there's a shit storm coming from the north, uh-huh. uh, and Stannis is going to need him. And Melisandre does an about face here with her tune, tells Stannis that the only war which matters is the one coming from the north, and they need to head north. It's interesting. It's an interesting take on Melisandre, right? Like, and I think Stannis realized it too, right? He turns around when she says, we got to go north. It's yeah. the only war that matters. He turns around. He's like, bitch, you just were preaching this other message right. two right. seconds ago. Right. And and like, this is the scene that starts to make you think that Melisandre isn't just a naked opportunist. 
Well, I mean, or clothed opportunist, depending on the scene she's in. She's like, like, what? Yeah, no, like this is the scene I think makes you think that she's because before this, I remember in the books and the TV show, I'm like, well, she's just a charlatan. She's she's hit. She has happened the road to the right island at the right time. She's hitching her star to this guy's wagon. She's full of trip. But like the fact that she's like, you know what? Let's abandon this Game of Thrones and go to this thing that everyone else in the realm thinks is a bunch of bullshit. Hmm. Like, I think that she she's 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 got questionable tactics and her faith makes her do fucked up things, but I do think that she believes herself as a force for good and not just, like, I want to be the woman behind the man, you know? Like, I think she's actually trying to do good here. Uh, and, like, you can see in the huh, confusion of Davos' face, too. What, yeah, what, I, so, like, what was... Yeah, I, what... I guess I, I have I, a different read on it. Like, when Davos comes in there and he very much convinces Stannis that this is a huge problem, mm-hmm. she switches her tune because it becomes apparent that... Stannis is going to let him live and, and is actually Oh really? Potentially believing Davos and is maybe about to go move against her. I think Davos I think Stannis was like, nah, he was going to I, I my read in the situation, he was hmm. absolutely going to kill Davos because like I was gave you clemency before because I got a I'm soft soft hearted towards my daughter. And I also do like but now you've defied me a second time. And I, like, I think if Melisandre hadn't piped up, like, so you think that she was just seeing which way the winds are blowing and go and, and tacking that way. I, I think she actually is the thing that changed the wind. Like, Dav- okay. Dav- yeah, but I mean, I, I'd say it'd be interesting to see what people think, but this is the last podcast we're doing on this. So, <laughs> right. Uh, right. Not for too long. We'll be back. We'll definitely, I don't know if we talked about it for sure, but we'll be back sometime in November. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure which combinations of us. I think, you know, uh, Jim, you might be back for some of them, but there's going to be a lot of like deep dives into the new Targaryen historical book that's coming out. Uh, you know, my, uh, me and Anthony's book on the gods of thrones are going to be coming out at the same time. So we'll be doing a th- two or three, maybe four episodes in, in November. Well, also we got the release date. Uh, we know for fact that game of thrones season eight's coming back in April, which is yeah. exciting. Mm-hmm. So, we will be going away, but not nearly as long as we have been in, in, in the recent past. All right, final scene. Danny waits outside the gates to see if she'll be welcomed in by the slaves who she's liberated. The slaves meet her, and she tells them that she cannot give them their freedom because it's not hers to give, only theirs. And they begin chanting Misa, which means mother. So Danny comes down off her pedestal to walk among them, and they welcome her by raising her into the air as they continue to chant Misa. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have definitely, I would say, at this point, accepted her. Yes, yes, they've accepted <laughs> her as uh, as as all the other uh, slaves in her in her formerly slave army, freeman army now mm-hmm. have. Um, you know, and there's the, the fact that I I don't know. I thought it was I kind of thought it was bullshit that that they were playing with the whole like oh will they or won't they kind of. Um, and then you know like they the the the, the people approach and the. Uh, the unsullied like spear up and all that stuff. Um, yeah, so, I'm, I'm with you because we saw a group of them already accept her, right? Those soldiers right. who were slaves put their arms down and didn't fight Jorah and right and Euro trash uh, Dario. So yeah, we kind of already expected that they would. I guess the 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 question is like like are they willing to? Because like you know, Danny is like I'm not freeing you. You're freeing yourselves and you have to choose what you're going to do from here on. And like, I guess the question is, are they going to be like, thanks, but now like keep 
you know, keep working your way down Slaver's Bay? Are they going to be capable of? I I, I don't know. Like there was something there that that I, I they're they're trying for, and I wasn't quite sure they got. Um, the other thing about like a contemporary analysis of this scene, uh, there was a lot of criticism about. Um, the like white savior complex that like Danny is the latest manifestation of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're not familiar with this, the way of thinking, like there are people of continents such as South America, Africa and India, etc., that have had a whole long history of colonialism and slaves and war and slavery and warfare. And then for hundreds and hundreds of years, these outside influences were fucking with them. And then they endure a century of the 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 white men, uh, the white man's burden of educating these savages and pulling them out of their own misery, which was largely created by the, the, the white man. Uh, and there's a lot of sensitivity amongst those communities to a white woman with platinum blonde hair, crowd surfing and a sea of brown people. Mm-hmm. Um I don't think I don't think the showrunners I mean, like, you know, it, it's like things move fast nowadays. And five years ago, like uh, I, I don't think the showrunners knew what they were stepping into. Um, in fact, I think they, they would be the ones that be like, well, if you, if you actually look, our crowd's pretty cosmopolitan. There's white people, European people, people from Caribbean descent, uh, all kinds of uh, they, like we've covered all the bases. But the visual itself of this platinum blonde white woman crowd surfing on this largely sea of brown people. And, you know, the the standard um, defense of that is like, well, you know, this is supposed to be a real place in real time and it's supposed to be a completely different nationality that and the the, the, the retort to that is always like, yeah, this has got dragons, right? There's shadows popping out of people's vaginas. I think we could bend, you know, if you're going to bend the rules of of history, you can you can keep bending them to be sensitive to the people from other cultures. And, and to, you don't have to, but you, you get a much larger and more inclusive audience like, you know, um, obviously there's 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 tons and tons of of of, of black and uh, other nationality fans of Game of Thrones. You see them at the conventions, mm-hmm. but it's also telling that. They're almost always like like the the cosplayers I see are usually jokingly referred to this as summer. I like uh, there's like I remember there's a bunch of black guys are going around with like summer summer Islander T-shirts on uh, because like that's kind of like the only place you'll find black people in 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 the books. And then hmm. a lot of times uh, the, there's a lot of Dothraki, a lot, lot of brothers uh, cosplaying Dothraki. There's not right. a lot of great roles uh that have been given out so like i said um that's something we talked about like mad brew deliberately caused the kerfluffle just to uh back in the, if, if you're a fan from the old days just to discuss it on the the wrap-up podcast um and we had a lot of really interesting I, I wish we still had that podcast because there was a lot of really interesting commentary from uh you know people of color and whatnot that that were responding to mad brews uh uh pro, you know provoking the take that he was hoping to get so uh hmm. That's the thing. It's like this is a moment of triumph, but also and then the thing is like um, also I feel like that this was the start of like the double D stepping in and a lot like they had a couple of bad seasons where they handled some sexual power dynamics poorly. Uh, they changed some things in the books that made it even worse and more so. And there's like a like and then this all led these like these next three seasons where they kind of had these cultural missteps culminated in them announcing that they wanted to do. Uh, a fantasy history where the yeah. Confederacy won the war against the South, and people like 
fuck no that can't be good uh <laughs> so yeah i just that's that's the, that's my piece i wanted to say it the thing about this scene for me is it almost feels obligatory uh like shit we, you know guys we're at the end of this season the very end of this season and we didn't go back to danny we don't really know her fate she's still kind of outside of the city oh fuck right this scene mm-hmm. uh it didn't, I guess, I didn't feel like the sense of of finality uh, for the season from a lot of these other scenes. Right. And this is the one where they go, we need to cap this this right. season. Right. Um, and I guess, you know, that's the job of the final scene. But right. it, D- Danny is almost entirely absent in these last, what, couple episodes? Right. Yeah, I mean, is, her, is it's, the, it's other people doing stuff for her because her dragons aren't, you know, it's Dario saving the day and Jorah saving the day and yeah. Right, it it almost didn't feel like that moment had been earned, I guess. Right. Uh, right. And so it just feels a little bit off to me. I think I think the finale or the final scene here could have been a little bit better with a little more support from mm-hmm. uh, previous episodes. But yeah. I don't know, overall, love this episode. I think it's yeah. really good. Yeah, no, it's uh, it is it is a it is a it is a great recap. It, it is it is unfortunate that the the they they tried to find the soaring moment of triumph and they kind of stepped the you know stepped into um, some cultural insensitivity. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, you know, it's like I was, I think there's a lot of ways you could probably film this to achieve the same effect, but made it seem like you know it's less uh like a hate like oh thank god someone came in here and save us and more of like a like a partnership and alliance kind of the mm-hmm. way i don't mean i like like none of this happened when danny you know ostensibly rescued the uh the unsullied but the unsullied had agency they had swords yeah. and spears and stuff like these people are coming out and they got nothing but the clothes on their back so it's not like any uh like any kind of equal relationship even though like you know reality danny does need like she's a she's a queen with no people uh, here are her mm. people and like what are people people are artisans or craftsmen they're farmers they're they're laborers they're soldiers they're mothers uh, like there's like there she's she's they're they're not they're not they're not just mouths to feed which <laughs> right. i i feel like that's kind of how the scene treated them like they're all these hungry starving people that uh, are just are just kept in check by all these dudes with swords and spears and then Sant- and then Danny's crowd surfing them yeah, yeah. It's I, I can <laughs> I can see where that doesn't come off uh, uh, as well as they'd they'd want it to. All right. That's the end of the episode. Danny out. Hey, before we get the feedback, I uh, want to talk about the club. If you have enjoyed our offseason coverage of Game of Thrones and you are looking forward to our return in uh, as early as November to talk about the new Martin book and the uh, Gods of Thrones. Know that this like offseason type of coverage is only possible because Jim and I are fortunate enough to be able to do this. Uh, on a full-time basis. Uh, and we're the, uh, to a large part, we're able to do this on a full-time basis because of the generosity of our fans supporting the club. If you go to club.baldmove.com, uh, you can see all the extra features that you get for supporting our podcast. Uh, there's lots of different ones, and a lot of them are there with free samples. You can also try uh, and sign up for a 30-day free uh, trial of, of of the club just by signing up. And again, you know, if if uh, you, if, if if we've given you some laughs, if we've uh, been in, informative or insightful about some of your favorite pop culture, we really would appreciate your support at club.baldmove.com. Uh, we actually have 
a good amount of non-spoiler feedback. So that's cool. We've been we've been averaging just a trickle. We've got uh, not a flood, but a, a decent amount. Uh, too Game little, Thrones- too late, fans. We're not reading any of it. Can you, can you try <laughs> and pipe just- in on the finale episode? No way. Right. right. <laughs> We're crowd surfing off on, on your emails. Uh, and I think that... Um, you know, like I said, uh, Game of Thrones at BaldMove.com, we are not going to be coming back until November, but that's not that far away, uh, mm-hmm. crazy enough. It's like a month and a half, so if you do have some feedback, you do have some thoughts about, uh, you know, we're going to essentially be doing a book club about the Fire and Blood, the Targaryen uh, chronology, that, that the history book that George Martin is gracing us with. Uh, and seeing if we get any new insights, if there's any game changers there. Uh, we'll also be talking religion because uh, Anthony and I's book's coming out about then. So if you got some feedback about that, or it's probably not too early to start talking heavy into season eight. Although I will say that I I don't know how to talk about season eight because I understand that there's spoilers starting to come out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of like last year, I just ignored all speculation. And since there's only six episodes, I kind of feel like I don't care about internet points. I don't care about people being right. I care about the, the end result being satisfying. And um, I have heard from multiple, multiple other podcasters and columnists and, and people in the, that like having those those bullet points of what's going to happen robs you of your like first watch enjoyment. Sure. Um, so I'm going to try to stay away from that. So maybe I'll take that back. We won't be talking much about season eight. But, uh, yeah, Game of Thrones at BaldMove.com if you want to get in any of that feedback uh, when we do come back in November. All right, first up, Carrie S. Uh, I imagine that podcasting 70-plus hours of material changes how you experience the narrative. Then when I think about the time and effort to write a book on top, that must really shape your perspective. It's an important point. Like, you can probably speak to this, Jim, too. Podcasting a show is an entirely different experience from just watching it. Mm-hmm. Like... I always feel like like I'm feeling that right now coming into the deuce. Like I watched the deuce season one as a fan. Now I'm coming into season two and I'm doing it as a pot, you know, doing it the, the professional podcast job. It It's tough. It's tough because I'm 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 playing catch up because like it's when you're a, when you're just a casual fan, it's OK to like forget a few things or like, oh, I slipped that detail and I hadn't didn't catch where it going because the showrunner is going to make sure you get caught up when you need to be. But if you want to be part of the speculation and the analysis and the helping other people to appreciate the stuff, it's it's it, it completely changes the way you, you watch a show yeah, um, for good and bad. Uh, but she says, in that vein, I'm curious if there's two to three things from your experience in writing the, novel, the, the book that colored the way you rewatched this season. And adversely, was there anything through rewatch that made you want uh, to make a tweak to the book? Because season three had plenty of religious elements to chew on. Uh, no, absolutely. In fact, this this there's a whole chapter, which I'm not sure if it's going to make it volume one or volume two that we devote to like Tywin, uh, like 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 Tywin and Roose Bolton's approach to politics and religion, like, you know, Ty, Tywin's whole thing of like, you know, it's family above everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, so that's something that, that a theme that we 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 decided uh, obviously before we watched the season, that scene with Kat. Uh, her soliloquy about John and her faith of the seven and all that features prominently in this book coming out uh, when we get to the faith of the seven. Um, so, yeah, there was a lot of things in this season. Um, I don't know that anything like impacted, but definitely elements from this season were crucial to 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 uh, shape some of the, the, the things we did and that we end up writing about in the book. So 
Um, those are the ones that just sprung immediately to mind. Uh, moving on, Roger D. Uh, I want to do a quick shout of praise of the acting of Maisie Williams and the writing on her character, Arya. For my two cents, the opening scene of this episode is a pivotal moment for her, perhaps her most pivotal moment. This is the moment she goes from being a traumatized and angry little girl to a cold-blooded machine, with the last vestiges of childhood being ripped from her body and soul. And the main thing that sells it is a phenomenal job of acting that Maisie does. Uh, Roger continues to gush for a bit, but I figured you and I could take over and do some gushing. Uh, I mean, we talked about it a lot, but but goddamn. Yeah, I, <laughs> I guess I should feel that description more than I am uh, ripping the soul from her body and turning her into a machine. I guess I didn't real, I didn't read quite that much into it. Uh, I I think, I don't know. A, a lot I, of I, I don't know how much I can say about Aria without getting spoilery. I will. So Maisie Williams is blessed by having those ginormous peepers. Sure that like you it's the window to the soul so like if you're ripping that soul out you're getting a front row picture of it because it's just like like these fucking anime bambi eyes she's got but Mm -hmm. they're they're so haunted and uh you know hopeless um and like yeah like the fact like i i have done you know, podcasting about television for eight years, and I kind of have been seriously paying attention to the medium for probably eight more. And television and movies are replete with shitty child actors, mm-hmm. uh, and not maybe shitty child actors, but child actors that directors have no idea what to do with, and writers have no idea how to put dialogue into their mouths. Um, and it's such it's such a joy to see all of the children impeccably cast. Uh, with great dialogue and and directors that get what you have to do to get the maximum effect out of children who haven't lived long enough to experience all the things that they're being required to emote. They need they need direction more than anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so it's so nice to see them hit it out of the park on every single one of them. And like what a how lucky we are that like Maisie Williams is so good that Sophie Turner is is capable of as such a capable actor and same thing about Kit Harrington and all the rest like they really rolled the dice on some of these real little kids and they hit pay dirt so yeah all all props to them uh Bryce W just wondering I'm not sure if you guys have talked about it but why do you think Grey Worm is so scrawny he doesn't look much like a warrior couldn't they have cast a more soldier type of guy we have talked about this in the past. Uh, we've we've speculated on what the castration does. Uh, Testosterone—it's a hell of a drug. Body. Yeah. Look, look at all this. Look at all this testosterone. <laughs> right. Gray worm couldn't grow that. Hell no. Forget about it. Uh, he also can't grow as much muscle without as much testosterone. Right. So I, I think there are practical reasons for the way that the unsullied look. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also kind of think. Who cares? But it does. No, it does make them look a little, a little less than intimidating. I guess. But, but that's you're supposed to understand that they're not great individual warriors, which mm-hmm. is why Grey Worm's like you know solo martial skills is a little universe breaking that we saw in like the last episode. Hmm, like okay. these guys are supposed to, you know, they essentially have the bodies of like a fit teenager. You know, and they will forever. In fact, there's stuff in the book where um, you see unsullied like house guards for like rich and pampered noblemen, and they've gone fat 
because like that's the other like if you get castrated you're prone to take those adult calories that you should be building muscle mass and you just you just bulk up um and there's a lot of fat you know your your typical kind of eunuch looking you know harem guardsman throughout the book and the the margins of the details but gray worm since he's trained to be a warrior and he, he doesn't get a lot of extra food he's got that live kind of like teenage boy body but you're supposed to understand that this unsullied strength is their rigid discipline yeah and much like uh the greek phalanx like they they fight uh, an individual hoplite or hoplite was not a fearsome force but 30 mm-hmm. of them interlocked together you couldn't break them and then Sullyder that to a ridiculously comically fantasy ideal. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you're not supposed to be individually find the, the unsullied individually imposing. Uh, you're supposed to realize that a thousand of these guys can break the swords of 8,000 Dothraki screamers outside the walls of a city. And uh, which is something that actually has happened, happened in the book. So yeah, I think uh, the, the failing here of the show, if I had to say there was any with the unsullied is that they haven't shown any of that. Yeah. Right. The, the the most they've shown is one of their nipples being cut off and them not moving. Like, right. Sure. That's impressive. But it's also on an individual level that and uh, also that doesn't win a war. No, no. Getting, <laughs> you don't win getting a war hurt by voluntarily have your nipples cut off. Right. Getting hurt and being able to take it is not what wins wars. The, the right. communication, the the cooperation. And we haven't seen any of that yet. So it, I don't know. It, it feels like they needed to show us something else of the Unsullied to really uh, nail that point home. Yeah, I mean, they did butcher the largely defenseless uh, slave owners, um, but uh-huh. you're you're right. Like you know this, but but on the other hand, they were introduced in this season, uh-huh. and they're kind of Chekhov's gun. Like we've heard a lot about them. Now let's see what they can do, and we'll have to see uh, whether whether those answers, whether that gets answered in later seasons to come. Yeah, Paul B from Transylvania. Uh, I've been listening to your older podcasts in the off season. I came across one where Aaron was talking about their initial coverage of the first seasons of Game of Thrones and told Jim that we should cover the first three seasons. Uh, Jim's reaction was hilarious. Something along the lines of, whoa, 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 easy there. I'm not sure I'm ready for that kind of commitment. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, to be fair, that's 30 hours of television and probably 60 of podcasting. So, yeah, yeah. I could see why I'd be a little hesitant. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um now, so right on to his actual feedback. He goes, I was listening to you guys talk about the birth of the dragons and how only life pays for death. I'm not sure if this is canon, but I remember watching a video and he links to the fantastic like charcoal pencil illustrated videos that they come on every season of Game of Thrones, the Blu-rays. The, this one in particular is the history and lore of Valeria and the dragons produced by HBO. Uh, about the origins of Valerian, where it was said that the people from which the Valerians descended were peaceful shepherds until discovering dragons near the famed the 14 Flames, which are the volcanoes indicative to the peninsula of Valeria. Uh, whether this is an accident or divine intervention, who knows? Uh, but where else do we know in present-day Planetos where they're said to be peaceful shepherds? The Lazarine, a.k.a. the Lammen. From what I remember, the Magi, uh, Miri Mazdur, was a Lazarine slave. My theory was that the Lazarine might have been descended from the same peaceful shepherds and ancestors of Valerian. They might have been a faction who opposed the taming of the dragons, who were either outcast or decided to part ways with their more ambitious brothers. In this context, it's interesting and maybe a bit ironic to think that Miriam Azdur and her blood magic helped bring back dragons into the world. Thoughts? Huh. I wonder if you... Because, uh, huh. like, to me, this is very analogous to a real-world 
the real world historical situation and i wonder like what your thoughts are before i i tear into it with with the dragons and all yeah that's whatever real world yeah yeah oh yeah the the dragons uh of of, of india for example right right the komodo the famous komodo dragons that won the komodo wars for years (laughs) uh no i i mean in the course of history if we you look at it from a historical perspective i don't know where the lazarine make their home territory essentially is it anywhere near these these volcanoes that we're talking about i mean they're all on the same continent they're all in the same rough okay. geographic it'd be like europe right yeah i mean that that's the thing you see these kind of splinter groups coming off all the time and you can look right. at like even the targaryens themselves have mm-hmm. splinter groups that that kind of you know uh go and do the targaryens are a splinter of the valerian people for example right and and they kind of preserve some of the traditions the traditions change over time uh, so to say, like, okay, these are sheep herders. They're roughly from the same area. Maybe, maybe I could see, you know, them being part of uh, a splinter group of what eventually turned into the Valerians. Yeah, I think of like um, the nomadic sheep herding people of the Middle East, mm-hmm. and like how many fucking tribes that all had roughly similar gods and ways of thinking and geography, but. One of those groups gave birth to so many different of the world's great religions. And like, mm-hmm. you know, like at one point I was a Christian. Could I like could I fairly tie my history back to the 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 the, the, the these ancient Middle Eastern cultures? I mean, kind of kind of not like to me, I think that's where like I, I don't I don't think there's anything to disprove your thesis. And it's an interesting thesis. Um, but I also definitely don't think there's anything to prove it. And like to the extent that it's true, thousands and thousands of years before the Valerian freehold that they were one particular, you know, type of like, you know, that the, they're from the same kind of genetic stock. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know. Like, would that blow Miri Mazdur's mind if you said, hey, you're from the same people that tried to prevent the Valerians from getting dragons in the first place? Like. Maybe, but also have being burned alive probably burnt her, uh, uh, you know, blew her mind too. So yeah, it, it's good, but like it's one of those things where you know what, fire and blood might have some answers to those questions. Is this George Martin? Are you trying to get revenge? Uh, Paul B from Transylvania? Are you trying to get revenge on all the shit I've been talking, George Martin, the last yeah. few weeks by dropping some advanced Targaryen lore? Is that what's happening? You think George Martin would know that Transylvania is not a real place? Right, uh, <laughs> right. That's where that's where Count Chocula is from. Come on, yeah, come, come on. on, get get a real country. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean that's that's actually great. That's a great theory, Paul. Uh, I actually kind of wish that uh, it, it it'd be worth an info box at least in in one of the books. I kind of wish I I thought of it uh, or you emailed me like three years ago so I could forgotten the inspiration and just cribbed it for myself. Uh, but no, that's 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 uh, some good stuff. Uh, Lauren M., do you think Roos would have turned on Rob even if Rob had heeded his counsel during the war? I never think of Roos as being petty like Walter Frey, more like he just takes advantage of the situation. Great question, Jim. What's your analysis? Yeah, I I don't think he would have turned on him, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think there were there were moments where Roos was very loyal to Rob. Uh, and when he was counseling him and Rob kept making mistake after mistake for silly reasons uh, in the grand yeah. scheme of things. Roos eventually said enough is enough. I got to do what works for me. Yeah, I think you're you're absolutely right that like Roos, although the books give a little bit more context that like the Boltons and Starks are kind of ancient enemies. The Bolt, the Boltons used to be kings in their own right. And then the Starks kind of they fought war after mm. war. And, you know, this is still 
a good thousand, two thousand years into the past, but you know, shit, a lot of stuff is a couple thousand years in the past <laughs> that we're facing to, you know, the, the enmity that we face today, and it's it's still still fresh in people's mind. Um, yeah, I I, I kind of I'm, I'm with Jim though. I think that Roos is a practical man. He has not chafed any more than he's had to against the Stark rule, uh, and he. Like, if he had an opportunity to take out the Starks, he could have. This was an opportunity that arose. But I think that he was a loyal bannerman trying to give Rob good advice until the it became obvious that it was a doomed cause. And then what? I mean, like, that's the thing. That's the other side of this whole feudal system. Like, why the fuck do I got to die for this guy's doomed cause just because my banner's sworn to him? That's right. pretty fucked up. It you is. Know? Mm-hmm. Um, so like, yeah, I, I'm, I, I mean, like what if your banner was sworn to, uh, Robert Baratheon, right? And then he dies and then Joffrey takes over and I, why be loyal to that person? Yeah. Why would you? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I guess I don't understand the, the post death, uh, kind of pledges, you know, like those house pledges because houses, change significantly over the years the people in them the people running them the causes of the houses change over the years it doesn't seem like you can have an alliance that survives the people who made that alliance Mm -hmm. yeah i it's 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 a good question and something that like we even i mean obviously you can't if if, if you're if you're on the live stream i have a banner flying behind me and Mm -hmm. i have some complicated feelings about it at the moment uh-huh. Uh, like it's something that we you struggle with. Like, what is what does a pledge of allegiance even mean? What is what is what are these symbols mean? Are the symbols greater than the ideals they embody? Are they only given? Uh, are they only given power by the the men and women they're upholding it? And you know, the Stark banner wasn't what it was in in Roos's eyes, and he took his shots and he takes his chances, and we'll see how that works out in the wars mm. to come. Uh, Rich, you guys are doing an episode of the new Fire and Blood book coming out soon, so I was wondering if you could ever do an episode on the Duncan Egg books. They're loosely connected to the show where both characters have been mentioned, but I'm interested in your opinion on them. And also, will you or Aaron book be available on Audible? Uh, thanks for going back and doing the commentary in the first three seasons. Um, I don't think uh, we're ever going to cover the Duncan Egg stuff. Because I just don't think Jim's that interested in it, and I don't think Duncan Egg are as interesting as the source material, the the, the main canon. Hmm. Um, I've read them all. I think I think they're 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 pretty good, but they're not like Game of Thrones, Storm of Sword, uh, Clash of Kings, good. Um, so probably not. Probably not. Um, I mean, you can you can jump in here and just fiercely deny that we'll ever do that anytime you want, Jim. Yeah, I mean, I I have zero interest in reading the expansive tomes uh even the mainline stuff like i'm not going to go read the mainline books on game of thrones so uh, or on ice and fire so i'm not going to read these like side things and i'll play devil's advocate i'm not i'm not the lore guy uh all all of the duncan egg novels are about 300 pages some total yeah. So it's not like the it's not quite the commitment of the main canon. So I, I know that's what someone will say. Well, does Jim know that they're so short? Does that change your opinion? Uh, not really. No, because I right. I just don't have any interest in the in filling out the history of this world. I'm more wrapped up in the current events. Right. And there is some foreshadowing and some prophetic detail and some other stuff that Martin is using, but. 
you know, that's the whole thing, right? Like it can't be crucial to the main tome or this information will find its way into the main tomes. And you would think so. Yeah. It's always, it's just always also, it's a big ass ass gem to read a fantasy book, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> as far as the books being available in audible, it just depends on how well they sell. We didn't raise enough money in the Kickstarter to hit that tier. It's kind of an expensive process. I will say that if they're not on audible, that I can almost guarantee I will take the time sometime this winter to read them and 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 release them as a in a in a in a podcast form because uh, that's pretty easy to do. I can you know however many chapters there are in a book, I can do that many podcasts, sell them on some sort of online store, and then you download them and you play them just like any other MP3 file. So I don't know if the, the see. I would like for them to be an Audible project because it's easier. It's turnkey. You get it. You got a player. It synchronizes and whisper sync all that kind of cool stuff, but. Uh, it just depends on how well the book sells, you know. Uh, Sean McGee, last of the non-spoiler feedback. Uh, has no one ever seen Hodor react to a storm before? They all act like he is some new freak out. But how is it possible Brand didn't grow up with Hodor Hodoring in every damn lightning storm? They for sure have said storms brewing. Got to get somewhere where nobody will hear Hodor Hodoring. Um, I mean, they didn't when they sh- when they shacked up in the tower. They didn't know that the wildlings were about to invade, right? I mean that's that's the that's the best answer. So, so you're saying the new piece of information here was not that Hodor does this when there's a storm. It's, it's the, oh shit, there's wildlings. We one, need to be super quiet. Yeah, this one particular instance, it was a bad idea. Right, right, and also maybe I mean maybe Hodor in in a familiar environment like the castle he was born in, where he's lived all of his yeah. life, and like it's big stout walls. Maybe it's. I mean, I could see like that not being a fr- frightening. Uh, and whereas, maybe if you're not scaring the shit out of him with your ghost stories every time you stop, that Bran, too. That too. talking about like, the fucking Rat King, talking about the the probably a god of thunder who turned I don't know some big galoot into a, an ostrich. I don't know. <laughs> What kind of fucking stories are you telling this guy? Of course he's scared. Yeah, I can say as an expert in Westerosi religion that the god of thunder has got it out for galoots. <laughs> he does. Uh, they're tall. That's one galoot the light, the, bastard. The, 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 the lightning is attracted to them mm-hmm. uh, because they stand up taller than anybody else. And it's 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 something that old Nan really beat into old Hodor's head that you got to watch <laughs> out for that god of thunder. Uh, yep. <laughs> no, I, I think, like I said, I, I think that there's... I could make an argument that that maybe is the first time, or I can also make the argument that they didn't, when they, they found a place to hide, number one, where the hell, I mean, they're in a, a fucking open plain. Mm-hmm. There's like expansive grasslands on the wall. If you better a tower than anywhere else, but yeah, I, I think they expected wildlings to pull up on them. So, yeah. uh, that is the non spoiler feedback. We are going to do a little bit of spoiler stuff in the spoiler section as is our want. Um, but if you don't want to get in any of that, if you're not caught up on the books and the series, maybe bail out now. Uh, we will be back uh, in November to talk about Fire and Blood, to talk about my book, The God- uh, Gods of Thrones. Uh, we will see you then. All the spoiler-friendly people, follow us into the spoiler section. All right. Okay. Spoilers. We got some We got some stuff to talk about, yeah? Okay, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I have some things to talk about. I got I at least some one. to talk about. Yeah, I, I want to talk about this potentially being the moment that Davos seals Stannis' fate. Mm. Uh, by releasing Gendry and pointing them north, it seems like he essentially killed Stannis. That's not a bad... That's not a That's not a wrong take, for sure. Because this is an action... By sending Gendry away, this is an action that Davos has 
chosen to take right like you could say oh there are a whole bunch of chain reactions that lead down to that path but this is a moment where there was a fork in the road and davos chose the one path Mm -hmm. which which put stannis on the same path as well yeah um i guess it depends on whether you think that melisandre could magic a victory for stannis because i don't see a way for stannis to fight out of uh dragonstone it seems Mm -hmm. almost inevitable that joffrey or somebody will get enough ships to go burn him out of there and he won't have a davos to deliver onions and he'll either starve he'll probably starve to death honestly like stannis is that he will starve to death at the gate barring his hungry people from opening the door Mm -hmm. um so like now, if you believe that Melisandre could burn Gendry alive and kill Joffrey and the other kings and make everyone else swear fealty, which maybe she can. Like, fuck, I don't know. Before I saw a shadow come out of her vagina, I had no idea she could do that. Yeah, uh, she's got power. Mm-hmm. And it does seem to be fueled at some point by by royal blood. Um, I mean, that's the interesting thing, right? That like in less than four episodes, all the rival kings will be dead. Balon Greyjoy gets swept off of a bridge, but probably a faceless man got him. Uh, Joffrey chokes on some dry pie. Uh, Renly's already dead. Like, like it is. It is something to make you think, right? Sure. I mean, the the kings are dropping like flies. So yeah, if if Melisandre could have magicked him away out, because otherwise, I he doesn't have the ships. He doesn't have the men. He doesn't have anything mm-hmm. to to do an invasion of Westeros. So right. Whereas up north, he could rally the free folk, he could rally the Black Brothers, he could rally the resistance in uh, the north to to the illegitimate Bolton rule. Like, he's got some plays he can make. You know, ultimately he doesn't, but what are you going to do? And that's with burning his daughter, the most royal of blood. So Yeah. Our Theon torture count's up to seven. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about, let's spend a couple minutes talking about, was it all worth it? Do you need the did you need all of them to get to the point where he makes him say reek? Yeah, no, I, I think absolutely you do. Hmm. Like I think I said last episode, you know, since we don't have that POV from inside Theon's head, it's really you, you got to get in there and you got to understand the show has to make you understand that this guy is broken. And I think the seven scenes that we get are enough to do it. I think it's a pacing problem. I think throughout the ha- the second half of the season, there was far less torture. Uh, there was like, you know, mm-hmm. uh, to, so I think that what they should have done, since there was nothing to tie that Ramsey Bolton storyline to anything else, it could have been in any order. Like every two episodes, give us a dose of the, it's just so you know that you understand that all this time is passing and Theon is on this cross getting tortured. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think they could have, I think it's, it's a matter of, of, of it pacing. Someone they else just wrote in it too much or couple, what? What's that? They they what? just front front loaded it too much. I think so because we got the like five torture scenes at at week five, and then mm-hmm. we got the seven by week ten. That's to me not paced appropriately. Okay. Uh, there's a couple like that. There's three episodes in a row. I don't think we even got the Ramsey. Mm-hmm. Um. So that's and then and someone also wrote that this might also be a part like of the where are my dragons, which we found like what what was persuasive about that is every fucking. Uh, previously on she was screaming where are my dragons all Mm -hmm. of the trailers are where are my dragons all of the so like it was amplified and echoed and I have to imagine that this Ramsey torturing stuff is like you know if your stomach was full already and every previously on and next time on is featuring torture it just amplifies and echoes it so yeah 
Yeah, I, 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 mean, I will say that I, I think we, we lose one and we pay some every other episode and no one has any complaints because I I do think you do have to tell the story of this man being destroyed. Oh, yeah. And, and I think they did that pretty effectively. Um, it, I also think like on on this watch, I wasn't as affected by the, the torture stuff, I think because I didn't see the previously on and next time on. Yeah, uh, I was simply watching the episodes because on right. HBO yeah, now they weren't they weren't showing a previously on. So, of course. Uh, yeah, it, it didn't hit me the same way as it would with all the previews and stuff right. echoing it. Um, let's talk about, because I know this is something we've debated, and I think this episode puts it to bed. I don't think Tywin would have any trouble at all handling Joffrey. <laughs> Joffrey would either get fucking religion, or he would take a nasty ste- fall down the steps of the Red Keep, and yeah. it would be a damn fucking shame, but it's a good thing we got the handsome Tommen... Last seen being murdered by Rickard Karstark and his men <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to, be res- no. to be resurrected and, and lead in, in, in Joffrey's place. L- let me ask you this. Uh, I think you're right about that. Because L- it, 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 go, go ahead. I'm sorry. I don't want to cut you well, off. Well, I, I was going to change the subject a little bit. So g- continue with your thought. Well, I was going to say, ahead. like, I do believe that if 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 Tywin fucks around and lets Joffrey like come to age like eighteen and, and, yeah, and yeah. builds enough sycophants and retainers and gets his mm-hmm. hands into some money where he can start like earning loyalty from people, but like I, I like I, but but Tywin's not stupid. Like I think Tywin mm-hmm. gives this kid a year, maybe two, to start wising up, and then he does the oh god he had us tear oh we show I've been saying we should have fixed that step for years and Tommen's first official act is going to make sure the stonemasons fix that fucking trick stare on the red yeah I, I, there's no way there's no way Joffrey outfights Tywin yeah it is interesting to me to you know hear this vigorous defense of all that Tywin is doing for his family uh, and I wonder if how how much the the knowledge or the uh or Tywin suspecting that Joffrey might be part of his family, part of his actual blood yeah. family. Um he, well, I guess he is with Cersei, but like uh knowing that he's the product of Jamie and Cersei, how much that would have like changed his opinion on it. Or even even if maybe he does know that, because there there's times where we think, okay, maybe he knows this, right? He's certainly heard the rumors how much does he believe them um and he you know refuses to admit ever that that's actually what's happened here um even though he will admit that those rumors are going around so i wonder if joffrey gets a little more leeway if like would he kill joffrey would he push him down the stairs of the red keep if he knew that he was actually like a product of jamie and cersei i think absolutely because he's still protecting his family yeah like like cutting off his I, mad I think th- king i think there's some I think there's some hypocrisy there with not killing Tyrion, though. I mean, I don't think like will as we'll see next season, Tywin's not above killing Tyrion. Sure, yeah. Like like if Tyrion, like fair. like if he becomes a threat to the family, <laughs> and you know, and like like the and, and in this case, like I don't think Tywin believes that Tyrion killed Joffrey. It's just enough of the realm believes it, and Tyrion's always been a pain in his ass, and he's been making these threats in court, and Tywin's like, "You made your bed, kid." Like and and Joffrey being a crazy asshole would be that only more so. Um, Am I misremembering? But isn't Tywin's plan not to actually kill Tyrion? Isn't it? He wanted him to take the black, right? Right. Yeah. 
But I think Tyrion, like, shocked everybody by saying, no, I demand trial. And I think there was a debate about, like, if he lost a trial, could he still take the black? And- right, right, right. That's what I'm wondering. Like, is there a way, was there a way out that Tywin was planning for Tyrion? Because I, I don't know. I mean, it, there is a certain amount of hypocrisy in saying, I'm doing everything for the family, and then mm-hmm. doing things for the family that involve killing the family. Yeah. I, I think it's like, it's like, to, to me... Uh, everything like the family comes first, but that doesn't literally mean the flesh and blood members of the family. Oh, they yeah, can be yeah. sacrificed. They can be discarded. They can be, you know, set aside to serve the greater good of the Lannister dynasty. Right. The, the, the position of the family. Right. Yes. Yes. It's the it's the family in terms of concept. Now, the hypocrisy is that essentially Tywin's vision of the family is himself. Yeah, like sure. He is yeah. the epitome of what a Lannister should be. Because, duh, obviously. <laughs> so it's it's pretty easy to meet the the standard when you yourself are the one making the standard. Sure. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, anything else we want to talk about on that subject? Because i got a couple other things. Nope. Uh, man, what a kick in the crotch. Uh, the non-existent crotch, in this case. Uh, the fi- I'm going to find my brother and bring him home. Like, they really make that moment heroic. And it is a real shit when it finally happens. Uh, or or yeah it doesn't happen. yeah like she no she does it she fights well, she gets and then and Tyrion or uh fucking theon locks himself back in his own cage yeah that's um, what i mean doesn't doesn't bring him home later she brings him home but uh also i was privately amused and i'm not sure because i don't think this line is in the book about the the young wolf being forever young um but right around this season there was a big theory going around of, of with uh Roose bolton being uh a secret vampire <laughs> god uh, and like his like, you know, not drinking wine and toasting uh-huh. to being forever young, I thought was uh, there's a lot of people making wry remarks about that. Finally, Gendry rowing. Uh-huh. Gendry will row for the next three seasons off camera before we see him again. I, I wondered <laughs> if, if like someone held a gun to your head at the end of season three and said, when does Gendry come back and how important he's going to be to story? You'd be like, oh, Surely he's, we're going to see him next season, right? Right. You would think so. But no, no. Uh, that's the, one of the biggest enduring jokes of like Gendry's rowing and how jacked he's going to be in his arms and how he's going to swing that hammer. And mm-hmm. yeah, turns out it's good for cardio, too, because he ran yep. from the land of always winter to the wall in like an hour. Um, <laughs> right. Right. What, what, what do you need? What you know, what does a man of the jetpack need with a rowboat? That's what I want to know. Fair. Uh, that's all that's all the stuff I had. Uh do you have anything else you want to talk about? Nope. Let's get the feedback. Game of Thrones at Baldmove.com. Bobby F. Uh I've heard a lot about the actors for Cersei and Braun and how they had some bad breakup and refused to be in the same scenes together. However, upon a rewatch, I believe I've spotted them twice in the same scene this season. Uh during Sansa and Tyrion's wedding, Joffrey's walking Sansa down the aisle. You see them together twice, once when Braun nods to Sansa with Cersei watching in the background, the other when Joff and Sansa are ascending the steps with a pan over the whole crowd. In fact, before the nod, Braun appears to be looking Cersei's way, and Cersei does appear to keep her head down and eyes averted the whole time, at least until Sansa is up the steps and past her, so she doesn't have the risk looking at Braun. Not sure what make of all this, just an interesting observation to me. Could it have been green screen together from two shots? Was it just Cersei <laughs> playing the PS mother figure? Uh, is the whole they won't act together thing totally overblown? Jim, what do you think? Man, regardless of whether or not it's true, mm-hmm. the, the concept is such a fucking stupid one. Like, yeah. look, you idiots are both paid to be here. 
Absolutely. You're paid to do your job. Suck it up, you fucks, and get in the same. Like, if I want to do a fuck scene with you two together, I'm paying you to do that, and you should be up for it. Right. Because that's your goddamn job. Do it. Yeah. It's a lot of <laughs> a lot of pressure on Braun to be up for that scene. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. But I, he should. He's getting paid Game of Thrones money to do that. So do it. Uh, so the, the legend I've always heard is that they had previously dated, but the bl- bad blood was more recent. Like something happened in season two, uh, or maybe even filming of season three. But I, I'm with my co-host here. I can't believe that if the director came to these people both and said, "You need to be in the scene together," they're going to be absolutely not. That'd be so fucking unprofessional. Yeah, well, I mean, you just you probably don't get hired again after that. I think that. Um, you know, like it, like a wise uh, writing room and director staff takes their star's wishes. Like if there's been like mm-hmm. a bad romance that like, you know, you don't needlessly you don't just write a scene to for the fuck of it. You wouldn't do like a Robert Baratheon Cersei, you know, because because that's got a that, that that bad chemistry has got to affect a performance. So keep him apart as much as they can. But like and, and then they were they were also in the same set when they were doing the uh, they were in the same set during the Dragon Pit negotiations. I thought, too, wasn't Braun there? That sounds right. So, like, I, I it's, it's not that they, they, they can't be together. It's just that, like, it's, it's that that's their preference, right? But, I mean, I, look, you're professionals, right? What if right. what if Cersei and Jamie were dating at one time, the actors who right. played them, and right. they had a bad breakup, and they didn't want to be in the same scenes together? The writers sure. can't work around that. Right. You can't. So you got to be there to do your job, and if you're unwilling to do that, then you shouldn't be there at all. I think it's I think it's a lot. It's it's pretty played up, honestly. Uh, Kyle in. I have a question about George R. R. Martin's unfinished books. What if the general outline he gave to the double D's was basically the same thing that they did, such as to go grab the zombie and the dragon gets turned into a white. But once he saw the fan reaction to this plot, he thought he had to make something better for the books. And now he doesn't know what to do. Yeah, we've we've, we've discussed we've definitely- this at length. This is a perennial topic for discussion, mm-hmm. and whether you think that's despicable or smart or whatever is like a completely subjective opinion. Yeah, uh, I think that Martin's more of like, well, I just do it better. Like they just didn't do the reveal correctly. Like because he's been distancing mm-hmm. himself from a lot of these decisions, and even the way, even if the decisions ultimately the same, uh, that like it's it, it it happens in different contexts in the book. So I think he's. He's prideful enough that he would stick to his guns and uh, just try to do it better. But it is some A-B testing he's getting away with, right? Right. That's the thing. Like, if I if I were in his position, and I, I don't think I would be in his position because I think I would have signed that contract and wrote the damn books. Right. Uh, lived up to my end of the responsibility. But yeah. since he hasn't, yeah, he gets kind of a weird free pass opportunity to mm-hmm. beta test his books, you know, his stories. Right. So. And, and and it also gives him the parts where like, oh, this isn't very believable. I better punch the shit out of this. I better punch it up. I better make I yeah. better really, really make this meaty or it's not going to land. Like, that's that's a hell of an advantage. It's a hell of an advantage. <laughs> it sure is. Finish the damn books, George. Uh, Brittany C. In the last podcast, you guys were talking about whether or not fates are predetermined in the Game of Thrones world. Aaron had mentioned it's hard to prove whether someone's destiny is set or not because it seems like once someone hears about their future, they start to work towards it. But what about the case of Cersei? It seems like she went running the other direction when she was younger and that witch told her what her future had in store. Yet so far, the entire prophecy has come to fruition. I don't think she was ever actively working to make the prophecy come true. And yet it did. That's the only example I could think of. But I thought it was a good one. Yeah, Um, that seems fair. There 
they're the so so I guess I'm gonna sound like I'm a big hypocrite and I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth. Let's see if I can be nuanced about it and avoid that. <laughs> I think that like to to like I'm a man of science, right? And you believe in double blind tests. The double blind test someone's destiny, they have to fulfill the destiny without having knowledge of that destiny. Because Cersei had knowledge of the destiny and tried everything she could do to make it not true. But mm. a lot of the things she did were antagonistic and made the things more likely to happen. Like her suspicion of Tyrion and her thinking that he's going to be the Valonqar and her being distrustful and distasteful of him her whole life and pinning the murder on Joffrey and making him flee. So she, he gives his giant brain to Daenerys who is maybe the younger, prettier queen that's going to, that's going to replace her. Like a lot of the shit she did and trying to overprotect her children made it more likely for them to be the types of people that, yeah. I, so it's like, I shouldn't have said like, it's a job or not a job, like a, uh, uh, a Jonah situation where like that guy found out God wanted to do this thing. And he just did the opposite of it. It's more of like, God wants Jonah to go and preach to the city of Nineveh, but he's not going to tell Jonah because it's his destiny. I don't mm-hmm. have to, I fucking did. I just being, I made it his destiny. It'll happen. Like, that's what I'm wanting to see. Like we know, like like a character that we can see is fitting all the prophetic, but not, that has no idea that they're actually fulfilling prophecy. That's never going to happen because that doesn't follow the hero's journey and it's not interesting. But it's what I want to see as a man of science. All right. Uh, do you have any additional thoughts on that, Jim? No, nah, I'm good. Uh, here's one. Can you help him out with this, Jim? Uh, in the post production, it's been a while since Aaron has done some. With all the air horns, how about we get a little hype since this will be the last Game of Thrones podcast for a while? You got it. Uh, here's here's a little bit more hype. Um, so Anthony and I are brainstorming thing. Like we got this artist Chase Stone. He does badass art. He's done a, he he did a lot of official work for the World of Ice and Fire. He's done a lot of Magic the Gathering. He's done a lot of de- he's 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 just like a badass fantasy author. He happens to also be a fan of Bald Move, and he's we contracted him to do some illustrations for our Game of Thrones books. Uh, our, our gods of throne books uh anthony and i were brainstorming like you know because you can't just have him illustrate copyrighted material you can't have him draw sean bean right uh sure uh one of the things we thought because we were doing some of the things we do in the books there's like for each chapter there's like a uh, a fan theory that kind of goes along with it um and we're, ha- we're we're choosing to have him illustrate some of the popular fan theories like the clagane bowl mm-hmm. uh roose bolton vampire lord uh, and I think I, I, I cannot wait to see because like there's very if you think about it, as popular as the Kalein Bowl is air horns and all there's very little art of it like uh, doing a mm-hmm. Google search I can only find one piece of art that imagines what that would look like so that's one of the things I'm really excited and he's like he's like, I haven't even seen the the rough drafts of this yet it's something he's working on right now I'm like soup so so if, if you want some 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 hype check oh, that out man. when the book comes out you're gonna get all the Instagram follows when that comes out. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Patty McSee. I've immensely enjoyed your discussion about Tywin this season. During this episode, Joffrey insults Tywin and Tywin sends him to bed. What do you guys think would happen if Joffrey gave the direct order to kill Tywin? Would Tywin <laughs> still have sent him to bed or would it Joffrey have uh, killed him instead or would he have killed Joffrey? No, man. I, I Look, I think Marin Trant is going to take Joffrey's orders. And if Joffrey says kill Tywin, there's nothing Tywin can actually do about it. The Tywin's power is all in manipulating Joffrey. 
mm-hmm. and, and and the perception of power, right? Like Tyrion mentions, you know, it's not the death that I'm looking for. It's the fear of death because that's mm-hmm. the thing that controls those people. Uh, that's what I think. Like Marin Trant will perhaps even gleefully strike Tywin down if Joffrey commands it. But Tywin has such a hold that Joffrey will never command it. I have a different take. I just think that uh, if Joff says kill this man, Marin Trant looks at at, at uh, Tywin. Charles Dance activates his uh, last action hero eyeballs, so they literally turn into crosshairs. And Marin Trant says, "Uh, uh-uh, uh," and packs Joffrey to bed. You, you so, know, what, you know what trumps crosshairs? A fucking sword to the throat. Like, <laughs> what's Tywin gonna do after he's dead to you? Nothing. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know, because like. It, if it's any other Kingsguard, I think you're right. They like, like fucking Barristan Selmy absolutely guts Tywin like a fish. Uh, Gerald Hightower. I'd, I'd like to uh, see that. Sir Arthur Dane, because that's how fucking serious they took the office. These fuckers, they're just thugs and plate enamel. Nah, because I think that they think the bigger payday is supporting grandpa. But if- they're not in it for honor or prestige. I mean, that's, a, that's one of the subtexts is like Joffrey's Kingsguard is shit. It's shit from the top down. Like they're just they're just like all the good guys have left and have been killed or gone. And, and now you've got like one or two guys. And in the books, they're sent off on assignment. And you just got the the thugs that are left. And so I, don't, so, yeah, I, don't I mean, at that point, it. at that point, Marin Trant would sit, would be delegitimizing Joffrey as the king because, yes, you can't let that stand. And and that would. I mean, talk about crashing your dynasty. If the king is completely illegitimate and it's, and the king's guard don't support him and everyone finds this out, the king is a laughing stock. Your dynasty is gone. Like there, I don't know, man. I, yeah. Like, Cause what happens after that moment, right? The mayor Trant says, nah, no, thanks, Joffrey. Not going to do it. Disobeying a direct order from the king. Where does that go from there? That escalates with Joffrey, right? Joffrey turns to the other king's guard and says, kill Sir Marin Trant for treason. Right, right. And no. it goes down the line until he finds somebody who will. And uh, I don't know, man. This is a very specific situation. We're talking about the 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 this these chambers where there's like five of the most powerful people in Westeros and two king's guards and the king. Like, uh, I think it's a different question if it's out on the street. I think it's a different question if it's, like, in the, in a royal wedding scenario. Because, uh, like, you know, uh-huh. Marin Trant, like, is a craven, but he's not a fool. Like, I think he can do the different, like, social societal math. But, like, how would it get out? Who would leak it, I guess? Mm-hmm. Um, and could Tywin, you know, would could Tywin make the people that would leak it fearful enough of their lives if they did so that they wouldn't? That's the thing. That's what Ty- Tywin just, like... And, and honestly, if it got out, I think Tywin would get off on it. The fact that, like, he's so powerful that he can essentially spank his grandson across his knee and not suffer the consequences. I think the little, I think the small folk would eat that up. The lords and ladies would eat that up. It would delegitimize Joffrey, but fucking Tywin doesn't give a fuck because he's the power behind the throne. For um, now, yeah. But, I mean, and that's what, what I'm saying. He would absolutely kill Joffrey if he didn't get religion in the next year or two, I think. But, okay. you know, yeah. I, I can see where you're coming from, too. I can see where you're coming from, too. Um, Esteban says Melisandre asked Beric Dondarrion what do you see and he says nothing nothing at all about his resurrection he also asked Jon Snow the same question and he receives the same answer from both men for someone who's lived a very long time I wonder why she asks about the afterlife wouldn't her character be happy about that answer um 
I don't I, I guess I'm confused, Esteban, because I think that her her what she wants them to hear is it's they're the, the other side and the other side is, you know, for servants of the light, which I think she believes both of these men to be Barrick, a card carrying one and John because he's Azora high. Uh, I think she wants to hear that there's like the Lord of Lights open is, is there with there's arms open waiting to receive you. Um, so I think I think it dis, it's it's disquieting for her to think that there's nothing because hmm. um, she's you know, she's uh, she's put off death for a long time. Why? Because she's afraid. Like, that's always an interesting thing about, you know, like, you know, it's like people make this joke about the popes all the time. Like, you know, you, you don't you often see popes turning down state of the art medical care. Right. Like if you're if you if if you're on the launch pad to heaven, why wouldn't you set that rocket off? Like Neil Armstrong wanted to fucking go to the moon, right? <laughs> uh-huh. uh, so like why 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 the chemo, dude? Like God God already told you he wants you here. He or he wouldn't have you give you the tumor. Like he's got the power over that, right? Like I think this is kind of like a similar kind of weird hypocrisy there of of the faithful. Hmm. Is is the as I understand it, the Lord of the Lights thing is kind of, mm-hmm. or, or that religion's thing is kind of the existence here on Planetos or wherever the hell they are. Right. In this plane is kind of uh, a hell. Yeah, yeah. And that by extinguishing that, you you are essentially freeing them, the, the right. people from hell. Right. Uh, into what, I don't know. I think they call it the darkness, which I guess could be represented as nothingness. So if John is seeing nothing... Yeah, Barrick is seeing nothing. Could that indicate that they're dying at some point? I, yeah, I think you're right. But I think that that shows that Melisandre really is hoping for something like, you know, being released from this hell to go like to not the sweet bliss of non-existence. She wants a reward. Oh, um, she doesn't want to just not exist. She wants yeah. to exist I, in a different. I, I, yeah. And I think the Lord of Light does have a concept of the at the afterlife. I don't think it's official okay. church doctrine that it's like nothingness. Like, I think there is supposed to be an other side where you know what that looks like maybe is not really well well defined um but there mm-hmm. is an expectation that your soul will be delivered to the lord of light and you know he'll welcome you into his arms and etc cetera, etc cetera. oh okay but uh anyway uh final piece of feedback for this season Cody S uh has a rapid fire quick answer crossfire type segment okay do you think a dragon will be have to be sacrificed by the red witch to bring about lightbringer Oh, God. Ra- rapid fire? Uh, yeah, yeah. What do you think? Yes or no? No. No. <laughs> I think it's it's just going to happen. Um, yeah, yeah. In fact, I think, I think the more I think about it, the more I think the Lightbringer is going to be a metaphor for a person rather than a physical thing that's wielded. Because mm-hmm. I've always said, I've been saying this for a couple seasons, the idea of Lightbringer, where like John's going to have this magic sword that just like shoots a beam of light Zelda style out and kill, like that seems ridiculous. Right. Uh, but John being tempered over the course of many times uh, up into death, or Danny the same way, being tempered over the course up into death and being reborn, I think that, that sounds like Lightbringer to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would be more satisfying? Jamie and Braun betraying, killing Cersei, or the Hound and Arya sent to assassinate her and the Mountain? <laughs> oh, Jesus. Uh, probably Jamie. I like, like I, it, there needs to be some larger thing for yeah. Jamie and Cersei, and I don't think this little breakup that they've had is it. Yeah, the Valonqar that's supposed to choke her to death is yeah. translated as little brother, but like the little brother she never saw coming. Mm-hmm. Jamie, who was born uh, before her, right? 
uh that that, that i think that's that's doesn't the thing. that make her the older brother or make yeah. him the older brother rather well not cersei's born first so oh, cersei was older. okay yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, what do you think of the Pirates of the Caribbean three type ending? Say if John will be cursed and die, and Danny will only find he, out he's related afterwards, and she's pregnant, uh, which is what the theory he's so he's going after like some kind of uh, you know John is like baby becomes Lightbringer and he's he's welcomed into the arms of the Lord of the Light, and he comes back once every eight thousand years, and the Long Night comes back and reborn as Azor High. I, I, I don't know. Sure, don't know. I'm, I'm going with it. Yes. I mean, it Definitely. sounds it sounds bittersweet. So why not? Can mm-hmm. Bran steal the ice dragon? Yes, that would be pretty cool. I think Bran can steal many, many different types of creatures. And we've always said that that would be a cool three, like the drag, like you know, we it's it's a it's a it's a head fake that Tyrion make, makes him a dragon saddle. If he just wargs into, right? Can he warg into the Ice King? <laughs> I don't think he can. I don't think so. No. That might but be the exception to the rule. A, a weird, a mere white. Like, yeah, I think he can work into that. Yeah. Uh, will Bronn finally get his castle? <laughs> no, no. no? I, 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 unfortunately for Bronn, I think this castle has been a pipe dream the whole time. I think, I think Bronn. Do you think Bronn survives? Because I think Bron, like George sees them using kind of like cockroach quality to Bronn that no matter what uh-huh. happens, that he will always land on his feet, and I think yeah, that I he will that. absolutely survive. Sure, but I don't think he's getting that castle or the beautiful wife that he's looking for. Um, I I, I kind of do. Yeah, I'll yeah. go. I just fuck it. I I, <laughs> right. I like it. I I like a, like a final shot of him bouncing his new baby boy on his mm-hmm. in his hall and his castle, and he's got a uh a Westerosi hot. He's got like a Westerosi seven or eight for a wife. Yeah. Uh, you know, which is uh like a like a Lizian five you know if we're being mm-hmm. honest but uh yeah no i i i, I like braun i want him to want him to, to be happy so that's it that's the that's the where we unfortunately have to sign off here we'll be back in a short couple of months to talk about fire and blood and gods of thrones uh and and uh, then we'll be back just a couple months after that to talk about the final season of game of thrones uh yeah. thank you so much if you've been uh, uh participating in our summer rewatch know a lot of people have uh it's it's honestly it's like we had almost no fall off from the last time we did this which is right after the last season so people are hungry for this thanks for your support of bald move thanks for listening thanks for all the feedback thanks for making it fun uh we will be back in a couple months until then i'm aaron and i'm jim later